Hey there, folks. We are back once again. It's the Uticast, episode 107. And this week, I am very pleased to have my good friend from Broadway, Utica, Executive Director Derek Clark is here. Uh, also, Heather returns from her 4th of July vacation. Lucky her. And we recap the Boilermaker. Uh, we're talking about the G Summit, uh, G20 Summit. We are talking about uh, another segment of I'm Going With This Guy, plus a few history lessons, a little overrated, underrated, all that and more. Episode 107. We're happy to have you back, folks. Oh, yeah. for everybody cheers guys cheers yeah welcome so back hot. Cheers, yeah. And, cheers i know it's, i'm sweating while i'm drinking <laughs> cheers and right coffee now. capital a adults <laughs> welcome welcome back to the show folks uh episode 107 featuring uh the executive director of the uh broadway utica i always want to call it the broadway theater league but it's called broadway utica now uh derek clark is here what a great interview i had with him an excellent excellent time uh, I've been looking forward to that one for a while. It's nice to finally get him in. I remember you were talking yeah. about him for a couple weeks. Well, you know what it is? He has the same thing that I do where we forget that we send Twitter messages because Twitter is not a great way to... No, like poor platform. Yeah, it's not email. It's not even Facebook, which is a little more active than being like, hey, someone messaged you back. Twitter will just sometimes forget to tell you that someone responded. I don't responded. even know I have messages and I went on my phone. Yeah. That happened to me one time on Twitter. I missed I missed a DM slide on Twitter. Um Long time ago, it was on a Halloween night. I missed yeah. a DM slide on Twitter on somebody I had my eye on for quite some time. Mm. I saw it like two months later. It was like a two a.m. after I had seen them out at a Halloween yeah. party. It was like, "Hey, what are you doing?" I'm like, "Damn!" Uh, on it six months <laughs> later, I'm like, "Well, you should have answered back." Nah. nah. After that's like, what's the st- what's the statute of limitations on responding to a lost email message? Like a week? The day of your funeral? Yeah. <laughs> Fair. I get bad sometimes work emails because I get so many that like I have to just be like, look, especially with, you know, we just went through Boilermaker, spoiler alert. Mm. And there were a lot of people as we were gearing up for Boilermaker where I'm like, I, I, just, I can't get back to you right now. I sent a lot yeah. of emails today saying, hey, so Boilermaker's over. We can talk about that thing for September now. Uh, and that's right, folks. It is Tuesday, July 11th. At least today as we're recording it. Well, yeah, it's today, July 11th, Tuesday, July 11th. Um, it is the post-Boilermaker episode. We are two-ish days removed from the Boilermaker. It's over. Uh, Heather is here again. Welcome back after uh, your week off. How was your 4th of July off? It was good. It was good. I had a good time. Uh, and Kevin, you're here again? Yes, I am. Against your will. <laughs> yes. Against your will. <laughs> yes, I've once again been tricked. 106 <laughs> weeks running, 107 uh, weeks running, I've been tricked. <laughs> so we have a nice... Uh, we did this last year, I think, a little bit, but we can do it again this year. Uh, we have three different perspectives of the Boilermaker, so just very quickly, I'll start with you, Heather. Heather, I saw you uh, during the Boilermaker. You were propped up in South Utica on the yeah. street uh, with your husband and child sure at, and our good friends, the Millers. Shout yeah. out to the Millers. I saw them as well. How was your Boilermaker 40, Boilermaker 2017 experience? I was bummed I didn't run it this year. Were you bummed? I was supposed to run it. I even went and picked up my stuff anyway. Yeah. But I was bummed I didn't run it. But I, I was nice to be a spectator and, mm. and watch. 
But it, it was nice because I like where we stood at the parkway there. Yes. Because you, we stayed there till the last people run through. Yeah, the, and the fifth mile, it's glorious. Yes. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and there was the guy that, we saw the guy with um, the prosthetic leg. Prosthetic leg. Did you see the T-Rex guy? The guy dressed as yes, the I did. inflatable T-Rex? That's a power oh. move. Uh, also, it must have been really uncomfortable. I can't imagine how terrible that, so that must have been. No, neither can I. Um, I always, my problem with uh, watching the Boilermaker for years was that I would either be like passive aggressively annoyed that I wasn't in good enough shape to run it. So I would just be like, look at all these guys, ugh, ugh, running, taking care of themselves. So I run it now just to say, like, so I, I'm not that guy. It's good for my positivity and good for my personality. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw you coming through too, and it was funny. Uh, you just look, you looked happy, you looked good. That's because in South Utica, I'm always happy. I'm always happy to be in South Utica. That's the word. That's the. That's where you start to come down. Right <laughs> yeah, there. feeling good. Kev, you had a, probably a much different perspective on, yeah, on had, the Boilermaker. How was uh, How was Boilermaker Sunday for you, my friend? Uh, long, the culmination of a really long stretch of four days. Um, I mean, over the course between Thursday to Sunday. I think I worked uh, almost 50 hours in four days, um, and it's just it's the nature of the beast. There's not really a way to alleviate it, to do anything like that. You know, we have a lot of stuff that goes into preparing for the race and the post-race party. Um, we expected probably the biggest one we've ever seen this year, with it being the 40th anniversary. The weather was perfect. Um, I was at the brewery at about 2 a.m. on Sunday. Ugh. After I had left at 8.30 Saturday night, I was there at about 2 a.m. on Sunday uh, getting ready but the cool thing about the party, from our perspective, is once you get everything in place and everything's ready to go, by the time the 5K runners are starting to show up, there's nothing left to do besides just walk around and maintain. And so at that point, it gets really fun. Um, this was the first time that I walked all the way down through the crowd, down the three blocks, down to everywhere they go. And it's crazy when you move through the crowd, and it's you know it's easy to spot me. I had, I had a staff t-shirt on. I'm also about 125 feet tall. And so I'd be walking through, and it was Not crazy because people would grab me as I'm going through the crowd, or somebody would call out my name, and I would run into the most random people out there because it's such a big crowd, a you know, with about 30,000, 40,000 people. Well, and that's the crazy part is that you, I run into, you know, people I hadn't seen in years. I run into yeah. people I don't always see around, different stuff like that. So it was, it was really cool, and it was nice to get out there and take some time to soak up the vibes. Um, the band was awesome. Mm. That was really cool. I got to go up and play for a while during soundcheck. Really? Well, yeah, because Jose from Showtime, um, me and him, we always, he's a bass player. I'm a bass player, and we always bass talk about, like, gear and stuff. He'd been telling me about this new bass that he had picked up. We had been talking about it, and he had it. He's like, yo, come out and play. So it was always, it's always nice to get out and talk with those guys and play a little bit, and it was a really fun day, and I slept really, really hard when I got home. I was home for five minutes, and then I was asleep. How did the beer go? Isn't there any the beer, beer that people, they unveiled? People so love the beer. The house lager. Yeah, I got, I've heard some people, die hard, die hard, died in the wool Utica Club people, starting to say they might like it a little bit better yeah. as a main beer than Utica Club. Recency bias. Wild. Recency bias, for sure. Ah, when it's coming from some of the people it's coming from. I lo- listen, I like it, but it's also new and kind of like, ooh, yeah, this new beer that's pretty good. I'm into it. Like, I, I reserve my judgment. I love my UCs. I reserve my judgment. But yes, it is very good. Well, the nice thing about the House Lager is it's 4.9 ABV. Yeah. UC is 5. That makes them about the same, mm-hmm. but it's nice to get that much flavor out of a beer. Yes. It's not going to put you on your ass if you have four of them. You yeah, know what I mean? Sure. So awesome. that went really well. We went through, you know, hundreds of kegs, um, hundreds of bagels, hundreds of bottles of water, tons of stuff in the backstage area. I got to see all the local politicians. 
Uh, shout out to Anthony Brindisi, who actually called out the show and said he's got to come on now because Marino's hogging all of his time. He said, yes. what's Marino? Basically a co-host at this point. Oh, I see. So uh, he's ready to come back on. <laughs> I sent him a message, actually. He'll be soon, very soon. I'm very excited for that. Um, so, yeah, I thought I actually, while I was down there during the Boilermaker post-ceremony, I, I did think it was, as usual, it was pretty orderly for the most part, considering how many people are actually there. You always forget how many people are really pumping through that that small of a location at one yeah. time until you're walking through it. Uh, from my perspective, and that's right, see, I asked you guys what you guys thought about stuff first. Oh, that's and then nice. Talk oh, there's a first time for everything. <laughs> well. well, then here's how my weekend was. Screw now you guys. Let's talk politics. No, no. Well, so this is my fourth year in a row running the Boilermaker Road race. Is it really? Fourth year in a row, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. For some reason, I thought last year was your first. No, no, this is number four. Interesting. For the kid. Um, however, this might be the end. No, you can't. No, you can't stop at four. That's what everyone says. You got to at least do five. Five's a nice even round. Number four is incomplete. Uh, this was number. This was Boilermaker number forty. I'm a big fan of like seven. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a nice yeah, ending. Four forty one for ten of us. But yeah, maybe. No. Um, you got to run next year. I'm gonna. I'm thinking that I might do what GFOP Kate Riley did and run the five k next year because all my friends who ran the five k were talking about how that was the jam. I heard that once you go to the 5K, you don't go back. You never go back. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, so I'm thinking, because i got to tell you. and Yeah, but if you keep doing the 15K, you can lord it over all those 5Kers. Yeah. All those people like who have switched and be like, You'll be the champion. you can just tell them, like, I understand the 5K might work for some people, but for me to get the full experience, yeah. you really yeah. got to do the 15. Because that's what it was all about. It's, think about that moral high ground. <laughs> so, well, let me, I'll put it this way, right? So I've run it four years in a row, and every year my time has gotten worse. Now, this year... I knew that it wasn't going to be great, but I did train this year probably more than I trained last year, and I did, let's say, significantly worse. Let's put it that way. Uh, I was really un- unhappy with how I ended up. Um, Wait, did you say you trained more or you trained less? More. I did very little training last year. Very, like, how maybe. How did you run No, this? you went running all the time last year. Last year? You were always running. You didn't train at all this year. I ran, like, ten times Every time month. I saw you, you said, I think you ran I every other day last run. year. I haven't run yet. I haven't trained yet. Uh, it wasn't great, uh, and I'll tell. You, but here is weird, right? I sort of expected it to be that my lungs were all going to give out and explode from all the years of smoking cigs and just being a terrible human being. But really, my biggest problem was that I felt like my knees were going to explode. Oh. Like it's somewhere along the way, in like the eighth mile, I was like, I really think that my knees are screwed up. Like my knees were in bad shape. It's the first time I've ever been like under duress for like a physical reason, not like I'm out of breath. Oh, I'm tired. Why did I do this? Uh, and maybe it's because I went with a slower pace and I didn't feel so out of breath, but it was, it was tough. Also, I ran alone this year. It was tough to run alone. I've I've run alone once before and I don't like it. There's something nice about running with somebody else. Sort of keeps you honest, I keeps your pace up. I feel like I would have a tough time running with other people I if I were to run the Boilermaker. I would I certainly wouldn't be able to I'm talk like to anybody. I'd be trying to focus on not dying. Like, <laughs> I do talk to a lot of people, though, when I'm Sorry, out there. like, hi, nice to see you. you. I'm trying not to I pass away. You should have had, like, your mic on you and everything while you're out there. Uh, so I did see a lot of GFOPs, though, out there. Uh, I saw Genesee Joe out there. Yeah. Uh, gave me a nice shout-out. Saw uh, Jordan Peters. Another quick shout-out to him. Spent a lot of time with Jordan Peters over the weekend. Me and him were both talking about how it was nice to uh, nice to be done. <laughs> it was it was a, like it was a good time to go through, but I saw him towards the end of Sunday, the end of the party, and we were just happy that we got another 363 days to go. <laughs> um, shout out to Chris Mandry, uh, go the distance runner. I ran into Chris Mandry late in the party, yeah, and he was in full biz af gear. Uh, he had a cut off sleeveless <laughs> button down dress shirt with a tie underneath like a tank top vest. It was amazing. 
Um, I saw him <laughs> briefly. And it's crazy thing about the party that big is you only see people briefly a yeah. lot of times. Like you walk through, you're like, oh my god, hi, how good to see you, and you keep moving. So you I just was, get these weird little slices of interaction. I was in and out. I got my fruit cup, I got my couple house loggers, and I was mm-hmm. out of there. I got, uh, I have two shout outs. Mm. Uh, number one, we had a first time finisher of the 15K after running her first race ever, the 5K last year. Uh, great sister of the podcast. Uh, my brother's wife, oh. Coach P. Coach P. Jen ran her, she ran the 5K yeah. last year and she said this year, she's like, screw it, I'm doing the whole thing. And she ran it and she finished and my brother's wildly proud of her. I'm very proud of her. And he said she was shook in the morning going into it. But when she was out there after the race, it was all smiles. Um, And also, shout out to, I don't know if you guys heard the news today or not, uh, Tim Reed has decided he's going to step down as the president of the Boilermaker. He's been the president for about 10 years. His brother Earl Reed founded the race 40 years ago. Um, and he's going to be moving on to some different things. You know, he's getting towards that stage in his life where, you know, you start checking, I think, you know, you start checking off boxes about things that you want to do with your career and whatnot, and you start keeping an eye on the finish line, you know, and retirement and stuff. So he's stepping away, and they'll be looking for a new president of the Boilermaker Road Race. And having had to work with him, getting ready for everything, uh, Tim Reed's an awesome guy, super positive guy, and he brings a lot to the race, and those are going to be big shoes for people to fill. So, you know, shout out to Tim. Maybe I write down Tim Reed as someone to come talk okay. to on the show potentially. Anyhow, not a bad hint, idea. Hint, hint, hint. hint. Uh, so, and real quickly before we close up Boilermaker coverage, uh, I got a couple quick things I want to hit. Uh, shout out to my buddy Dan Avasado, just because every year, just love all him. time, just all time. all time. And shout out to my stepdad Mike for getting up really early in the morning and driving me to the start of the race mm-hmm. uh, because I really didn't know what I was going to do otherwise. Um, it's a pain to get to the start of the Boilermaker it if you're is. a runner. I got dropped off basically in front of Parkway Pizza and just walked my way down there. Wait, where does it start again? Like on Culverish. Yeah, near the, the post stop. Po- po- oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But it's like you have to it's like you're good, you have to get into there. It's just it's not like an easy place to get to. The race cuts through the whole city. You have to go like around. <laughs> it was funny, my brother was telling me that his wife was, you know, kind of nervous going into it. She was real quiet. Yeah. And then when he went to take her to the starting line, they got down there. She's like, wait a minute, we're here already? Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, yeah. we're here already? Hang on. Yeah. And then she's like, Well, wait, uh, you know, I don't know which way to go. He's like, just follow the <laughs> just follow the thousands of <laughs> the other people, people in yeah. running gear yeah. and walking in one direction. <laughs> um <laughs> don't know. Uh, also, a quick shout out to the Crazy Fools who, during the uh, seven between the seventh and eighth mile, were playing the song "The Weight" by the band. You ever heard that one? Mm-mm. Take a load off and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that one. Great song. I, I heard that one on the way down that uh, Whitesboro Street, on the way toward Whitesboro Street. That was a nice way to go running. So, shout out to the boys. It's one of their classics. They play that. They play that a lot. Of, I mean, those guys are all in my family. Um, they crush that song. It's one of my favorites they play. Uh, and I saw two good signs uh, that I can remember off the top of my head. I saw many, many, many good signs, certainly, by the way. Great support by all the people in the community, as per usual. Boilmaker's the best. Um, I saw one sign that said, uh, this is a little inappropriate, if this race was, e- was easy, we'd call it your mom. That was a real sign that somebody put. <laughs> but somebody held that sign up. I was like, wow, this is like an antagonizing That's sign. That's amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's amazing. If this race was easy, we'd call it your mom. I never Harsh. saw any good signs of that. Harsh. Uh, and then there was another one which just had a picture of a uh, Super Mario uh, mushroom, and it just said, press here to power up, and people were going by and hitting it. Oh, that's and cool. That's so cool. that was pretty good. Awesome. So a lot of good stuff. I saw a sign um, I saw a sign near some of the hardest working guys with the toughest job during the entire race. I was walking through the crowd, the big thick of it, and I saw two signs up there that said, Meet Senator Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer's walking through the crowd, just working his way through, <laughs> letting the crowd take him in whatever direction he wants, shaking hands and taking pictures and dancing with a beer in his hand. And he's got two aides holding Meet Senator Chuck Schumer signs, so people are just walking, converging on these signs. 
and he had two security guys with him because you know he's he's a high up in the Senate. Those yes, guys get protection, and he had two guys full on <laughs> earpieces strapped up trying to direct him, and he could have cared less what these guys had to say about where he should go or what he should do or what should go on. Yeah. And I'm just looking, I said to one of the guys who was walking through, I'm like, I, I'm like, I tell you what, I have a hard job here. I do not envy the work you're doing today. And the guy just looked at me and goes, dude. And just shook his head and they kept going. So uh, shout out to those guys. So let me say this, I, you know, on a totally non-political basis, like I, I don't care about his politics right now. For the sake of this conversation, Chuck Schumer is a wild dude. I've seen him show up at Brooklyn festivals and give speeches to crowds. He got on stage with Showtime <laughs> and he was singing uh, Sign, Sealed, Delivered on yours, the Stevie Wonder song. He had the microphone. He took the microphone from the lead uh. singer of the band and he's up there dancing, singing Stevie Wonder with the That's band. That's great. And then at the end he goes, Utica, I'm yours. And he got a huge crowd pop. Yeah. Yeah, he loves it. Tenny yeah. got booed. Hey. <laughs> Speaking of politicians who deserve to get booed, it's time for us to talk about the Trump administration and Trump stuff for just a couple minutes. I know we've gone long on Boilermaker, so I'll spare you folks with Way a lot better. of details. <laughs> True. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of the good uh, Trump news this week was mostly about the G20 summit that was going on while he was in Europe this week. Um I want to get this one out of the way. There was a lot of bluster about Ivanka Trump sitting in for him during uh, a meeting he went to during the summit. Uh, I'm going to give you uh, a choice here. Ivanka Trump sitting in for the president. Bad look or overblown story? Heather, you want to go first on this one? I'm going to go bad look. Mm-hmm. Just, she even said she didn't want to get much into politics, and there she is. You know, when she says well, that. Well, she's a liar. I know, but <laughs> when she's saying that, and then she's sitting in an important meeting like that, she just has no business being there. She It doesn't make me feel comfortable. It doesn't make me feel like she's looking out. It just, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's fair. I understand I that. Mean, and uh, I do agree with you a little bit. I think right now we're... Optics play a big part in the Trump administration. It's like an easy target for them to be like, look, here's another thing, right? Mm-hmm. Kevin, your thoughts? Overblown or bad look? A uh, little bit of both. It's not a great look, but it's also not the end of the world. I mean, it's funny because in in the scale of things that have been going on in the last six to eight months, um, stuff that would have used to be a huge story is now just like, ah, this one's not even that bad. I, I, worry, like that, tr- I worry that we're getting desensitized to sure. uh, some of these things. But one of the things I always point back to when something like this happens, or almost anything that goes on, you know, a lot of the Trump supporters will stick their head in the sand and be like, oh, well, it's fine, this and that. Think about what the reaction would have been had it been Chelsea Clinton if Hillary Clinton was the president. Glad you brought that up. These people would be up in arms. I mean, even like, you know, some of the things they're calling tenuous non stories that they don't think are proof of collusion with Russia. Even a little teeny tiny bit of it, and if it was Obama or Clinton, they would be up in arms oh, and yeah. frothing at the mouth for impeachment. <laughs> so anytime you see something like that, just think, what would the reaction be if it was the other side? Mm. And I think you'll have your answer, nine times out of ten. That's fair. Yeah. Um, also, uh, just a quick uh, climate update uh, of the G20 nations. Still getting hotter. <laughs> uh, we, were the only, we were the only nation of the G20 nations who did not back the climate agreement, uh, so just we still hate the earth. Good to know, just for everybody else. Uh, also, I want to update something. We've talked about this, about how there were three nations that didn't sign the Paris Climate Agreement, right? Uh, it was the United States, Nicaragua, and Syria. I did some, I was reading up on some of this last week. Do you know why? It's Nic- all your fault. Yeah. Do, you know why, do, you know why, do you know why Nicaragua didn't sign it? They didn't think it was comprehensive enough. They said, this bill doesn't do enough. We refuse to sign That's it. That's kind of like what Trump said, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
No, and he said they're all taking advantage of us. This is a raw well, deal. If he can come back for a better deal. Uh, so like Nicaragua was coming off as like Captain Planet. They're like, no, no, you're not doing enough. We're doing, we're really doing it. And Syria is just like we have other things to worry I'm about. Sure they have a lot to worry. We have about. a lot to worry about. <laughs> so uh, once again, the U.S. stands alone with our hatred of Earth. As we give away <laughs> leadership on the world stage to the East and Europe and the Twilight um, of the United States. Um, so before we get uh, before we get off this subject, let's get into Last week, I started with our segment. Did you guys like I'm Done With This Guy? Did you guys like that last I'm week? I'm a big fan of I'm Done With This Guy. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's get into this week's I'm Done With This Guy. And the only reason I'm sort of concerned about it is I think I might be jumping the gun on it just a little bit, but I'm already sick of him. And this week, Donald Trump Jr., You're late. I'm Done With This Guy. You're late to be <laughs> Done With This Guy. In fact, you insinuate that you weren't Done With This Guy last week worries me. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so the the easiest way I can describe the story that's coming out all over is that Donald Trump, uh, Jared Kushner, and uh, what is it, Pat Manaphy? Is that his name? Pat, Pat Manafort. Uh, Manafort. Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort. Paul there Manafort. you go. <laughs> Pat McAfee is a yeah, Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee. Uh, Paul Manafort uh, uh, allegedly met with a Russian lawyer who was connected to the Kremlin uh, in an uh, attempt. Not allegedly, did meet. Did meet. <laughs> they admitted they met. Uh, well, he uh, Donald Wait, Trump Jr. admitted wait, they met. One of them denied meeting him though. Well, that seems to be the story. Is uh, there's a lot of changing narrative, and a lot of this is based on that Donald Trump Jr. had some uh, inconsistent statements about what was going on. Yeah, he thought he was issuing a denial, and instead he pretty much just confirmed it. <laughs> well, he suggested that it was normal practice to receive information about political opponents in this manner. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's so embarrassing. It's exhausting. I know. This uh, this took place on June. Was it? An, on the ninth, this came out. This story that they had met at Trump Tower uh, after Donald Trump had secured the. Republican yeah. nomination. Mm. Uh, and the reason I'm starting with it right now, and because I know that we're going to talk about Donald Trump Jr. again, he seems, unlike Donald Trump, who I think is an idiot, but I also think is a little bit in on it, like he's sort of aware of his narrative and sort of plays into it, I think that Donald Trump Jr. is just an idiot. Like, he's really just an idiot and doesn't think he's going to get in trouble and is too stupid to realize that he might have... There's his privilege. He doesn't know. What it, he doesn't understand. It's funny to watch things. all the stupid things. Yeah, yeah. It's funny to watch all the things where people think they're being really slick and issuing some denials. Like you just, and we're you're sitting just back watching yourself, it, going, you you're moron. Like, what do you, what do you mean? You're embarrassed for you're just watching it. It's embarrassing. What's well, I think the funny part was like when I first saw Donald Trump Jr. I think it was on like it was during the elections, and he was like on TV talking about how it wasn't going to matter that Donald wasn't involved with the businesses anymore. He was just aggressively like, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. I did look at his Twitter profile, and it's pretty rough to read. He also uh, he also uh, besmirched the honor of one of my favorite movies, Top Gun, by using it in an anti-CNN no. uh, tweet that he tweeted on a GIF. So uh, for all of these reasons, and for many future reasons, which I'm sure we'll discuss at some point in time, Donald Trump Jr., I'm done with this guy. Hey, I'm done with him. All right. That wasn't so bad, right? We got through the oh, politics well, fast enough. I'd rather talk about the Boyle Makers than talk yeah, about politics. Yeah, it was politics. way better. Yeah, man. Utica is more exciting. Uh, speaking of Utica, let's get into this week's interview, a very exciting interview, uh, with Derek Clark, the executive director of Broadway Utica. Um, this is a great interview. It it clocks in in about 56 minutes, which I don't know if that makes it the longest interview I've ever done, but it's up there. Close. Yeah, it's close. Uh, it was a really wonderful interview. He was uh, a great conversation. He was very candid. He's very funny. Uh, we're going to get into lots and lots and lots of stuff. Uh, very excited to bring Derek Clark, uh, Broadway Utica. We'll be back in just a moment.
I can always tell when it's going to be a good interview when my mom is excited for the person who's coming in beforehand. She likes to know who's coming in beforehand. She's like, is that the Broadway Utica guy? Uh, so and, and I... I do recognize your mother's name. Really? It was the spelling that threw me off. Oh, that throws everybody off. Yeah, it was the spelling. Because it's phonetically, it doesn't yeah. look like the way the spelling is. No. Um, yeah. I, I. Oh, and also, too, about your mother, she has the coolest email address oh. than anyone out of my uh, 2,300 <laughs> subscribers. I noticed it because she sends me a lot of emails, forwarded emails to me. That's the joy of having her. <laughs> um, so i got to ask you this question, and I, this, is a, this is a stupid question to ask, but I'm going to ask you because I lived in New York City for a long time. I had friends in New York City. You spent time in New York City. And were you doing anything in the, in the theater in the New York City as well? No, no, no theater experience. Okay. Yeah, this is my first gig, other than having a lot of friends in the theater biz, okay. you know, theater world. I had a friend in New York, Matt Polk, who was a theater guy, and he was all over Broadway stuff, and I was just curious if you were in that world at all while you no. were down there. Uh, I was in the fashion industry for 30 years. 30, yeah. And, uh, you know, the fashion industry and Broadway are best friends yes. in New York City. Mm-hmm. They, they live next door to each other. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of uh, you know interpollination with events and sure. uh, uh, different things that mm-hmm. go on uh, in both worlds that mm-hmm. we are both very supportive of each other. So I do know people in the you know bar- in uh, uh, the theater world. Well, I do want to get into some of that fashion stuff because it is very fascinating to me. But I want to start back at the beginning. I did a little bit of my uh, research as a professional journalist here. <laughs> uh, you were born and raised in San Francisco. Yes. How long um, were you out in San Francisco for? Yeah. Until like, until college or mm. until? Oh no, I was in San Francisco until I was thirty-four. Yeah, let me count back. Mm. Yeah, thirty-four. Wonderful. Yeah. See, I I was playing in a band for many years, and about as far west as I ever got, if you're gonna laugh, is Minneapolis. <laughs> was as Never far made west. It San Francisco. No, we were in like a van. We stayed most of the like the east That's coast. That's so San Francisco. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I always I was always jealous. A lot of my friends have gone out to the west coast, Los Angeles, San Francisco. They tend to love it. Uh, so I'm curious what it was like growing up on the west coast. Now that you spend so much time on the east coast, Uh you know it's it's different. Uh, the people are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the priorities are different. Sure. Uh, you know, there's more of a work-life balance mm-hmm. on the West Coast. Uh, it's definitely more family family oriented. It's definitely more outdoorsy in the sense that sure. people are outdoors uh, because mm-hmm. of the you know the the, the weather. It's of all weather driven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas New York is mm-hmm. very career driven. Sure. Uh, you think uh, you know? Look at a Banana Republic ad. Mm-hmm. That's San Francisco. <laughs> Yes. Uh, you know, and it's very, it's like khakis and, you know, and yeah. a dress shirt and you're ready to go. That's your work uniform. New York City is still yeah. suit and tie in a lot of places. And just and, black on black on black all the time. And, and until they come out the darker color, it will be black. <laughs> a lot of my New York City friends when I was living down there would go to the West Coast to either visit friends or I had some, uh, some people had family out there, but. And never uh, come back? Well, one of the things they would say, well, some people, uh, but one of the things people would say a lot is that if you grew up on the East Coast and you went out to the West Coast, you had this overlying sense of like cynicism that you couldn't shake when you went to the West Coast that West Coast people didn't have. Did you ever notice that about East Coast people when they come around? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when I moved to New York City, yeah. uh, you know, I called myself a New Yorker once by mistake. Oh, yep. Uh, yep. I was there for about five years. And Meth counts. Very quickly corrected, you are not a New Yorker, and you cannot be call yourself a New Yorker until you're there for 10 years. 10 years? On your 10-year anniversary, you can call yourself a New Yorker. I didn't make it 10, I made it 7. Ah, you're see, not really a New Yorker. Yeah. I made it, I made it. I did uh, 16 years. Wow, 16. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you before we get to New York, because I do want to get into some New York stuff with you. Uh, did you go to college in the West Coast as well? Uh-huh. Where'd you go? Yes, I did. Fashion Institute. Fashion Institute. Yep. Uh, now, when you left the Fashion Institute, or when you, what was your experience there first off? Did you enjoy that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was one of those things that 
I didn't know what I wanted to do with my sure. life. That's kind of where I was going next. Like, did, did you have an idea with what your fashion degree was going to bring for you? Or no? And uh, and I'll tell you, uh, you may have seen it already. It is out there because there That's was right. a story on WUTR. Sure. Uh, uh, Grace Fernandez did a wonderful piece. Oh on yeah, it. yeah. But um, I uh, was co- I'm colorblind. Really, colorblind. And, yeah, I'm, I'm colorblind, and uh, you know, most people are either red, green, or you are uh, blue, yellow. Right, and, right. Uh, I am all four. Wow. So Real. I don't see huh. colors the way that you see them. I see them completely different. These are my glasses that she did the story on. Hmm. Uh, those make me see color. These are wow, and that's huh. what, that's what those are. Very special glasses, but I just got those this year. For so this uh, is the first time ever you've been able to. What was that March like this year? That must have been an amazing moment or a oh, strange it, moment. If it was, else. and it's on. It's uh, if you go to, um, I think it's uh, WTR site. Oh, yeah. Central New. I'll link CMY. that. That's very fascinating. Okay. And uh, you know, and there's there's a great story there. And um, hmm. so I wanted to uh, at one point in time be a pilot. Hmm. And yeah. you can't be a pilot. Uh, you'd be land, landing on the wrong runways. Yes. Uh, then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be a doctor. All that didn't work out. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm a great math person. Sure. Uh, but I'm not a great chemistry person. Yes. Yeah. I was, <laughs> so that didn't work out. <laughs> uh, so I ended up, uh, you know, uh, meeting Don and Doris Fisher, who hmm. uh, created the Gap. Oh wow! Wonderful. And the San Francisco-based company. Yeah. And Don said at that time, he's like, well, you know, why don't you go to work for us? Why don't you consider yeah. it? And that was my first intro into fashion. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was going to go to San Francisco State, yeah. and I pulled back and decided to go into the, the into fashion. I either sure. had my choice of going to a fashion institute in San Francisco or FIT in, in New York City. Yeah. I, being a homebody, stayed sure. in the San Francisco area, and, and that was my direction. FIT in New York is very fascinating. Um, I, I went to college in New York, but I went to college in Manhattan, uh, in like Hunter College on the upper... Oh, that, oh, yeah. Yeah, 68. Yeah, yeah, yeah Lexington. 60, yeah, 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 68. I, I loved it up there. My old stomping grounds is 63rd in Lex. But, uh, yeah. see, see I, <laughs> I know Hunter really well. <laughs> well, FIT always had an interesting... I always liked walking by FIT because you could tell when you were by FIT because oh, yeah. everyone was so fat. You're like, oh, yeah, now I know where I am. Uh, <laughs> what initially brought you to New York? Uh, to New York City? I yeah, New York City. For, yeah. Uh, well, I, I was a buyer from Macy's. Mm-hmm. I bought women's footwear. Oh, interesting. And... I, you know, I was one of the youngest senior executives to ever, ever be employed by Macy's. Mm-hmm. And so right out of college, I went to work for them. I was with them for many, many, many years. And uh, I bought shoes from a guy named Steve Madden. Yeah, Steve. And developed a really great <laughs> friendship with Steve. And knew him for years. And he always wanted me to come work for him in New York. Mm. And I originally accepted a job with him. And my mother fell ill. And uh-huh. she she developed lung cancer as a non-smoker. Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. And it was really a tough time, so yeah. I decided not to leave San Francisco sure. to stay mm. uh, uh, there as long as my mom was uh, was doing mm. well. And then when she passed, mm. Steve, you know, he called me and said, "Hey, you know what? I know that you're going through a lot right mm. now." He says, "Sometimes uh, when you have a, a moment like this, when yeah. something really big happens in your life, maybe you should just like jump and and just take all kinds of." Uh, you know, different types of challenges. And he says, so if you're interested in coming to New York with me, um, I would love to have you. So that's how I ended up. So I left San Francisco, went to work for Steve Madden in New York City, hmm. and was with him for about six years. That is a fascinating and bittersweet story. I'm very sorry to hear that. But one of the things I'm curious about, because one of the things I've always had this idea in my head of, and you've worked for a lot of important names in the fashion industry. Absolutely. Uh, but this story about you telling me about Steve reaching out to you, 
Um, I would always assume, based on what I don't, the little I know about the fashion industry, that people are not super approachable when they're in those high positions in high fashion. You wouldn't normally think of a, a high fashion executive to be a super approachable person, but he reached out to you on this personal level, and that seems so off brand, <clears throat> at least in my opinion, right? Well, I I, I had a relationship with Steve sure yeah. prior, you know, mm. so we were friends. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, yeah, we were friends beforehand, and uh, you know, he went through an incredible amount of growth, mm. and is right when. Uh, you know, he could do no wrong at that sure. time. Yeah. And right when I was getting ready to move to the company is when mm-hmm. he was, um, uh, you know, he, uh, at that time it was allegedly uh, accused of stock fraud and yeah. stock evasion mm-hmm. and all, all these mm-hmm. different things. And yeah. he actually went to jail. So when he was uh, in prison, I was part of the transition team sure. that took care of the company in his absence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was uh, a part of their, their mm-hmm. world and uh, helped run the company and mm-hmm. developed the men's line. While he was, uh, yeah, you know, incarcerated, and then when he came out, uh, I stayed for about a year later after he came out. And what people don't understand is like when you're in the fashion industry, yes. uh, and I had this conversation with a friend last night. It's like when you're in that business, mm-hmm. uh, especially in New York City, yeah, uh, it is. Yeah. Uh, it's twenty four seven, seven days a week. Yeah. You you work so hard, and that is your focus. Is is your is your career and the company. Yeah. And that's exactly. what you do. And that's how these, that's why the fashion industry, what it is today, because mm-hmm. people just completely give their life to it. And I did. And at the time I was, uh, you know, when I ended my time with Steve, it was just because of exhaustion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Of and that's all it was. It was just, I needed mm-hmm. to kind of sit back and just take some time and relax. And it re- seems like a very high intense pressure industry, even to, you know, for, I don't think people sometimes give it as much serious credence because it's the fashion industry, but like there's so much, there's got to be so much deadline and creative pressure and like just so many things coming at you all at once. I can't imagine that, like for as long as you did it, you know what I mean? It, it, it is. And yeah. what, exactly what you just said is what the industry yeah. is all about. Uh, you know, you, you have deadlines. It's, it's all deadline driven mm-hmm. and you know, you can't just say, Oh, you know, I missed my season. <laughs> you missed your season. <laughs> you, you close your doors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you can't say, oh, well, my samples mm-hmm. just didn't show up, you mm-hmm. know, from China or wherever they're coming from. Yeah. Uh, if they're not showing up on time, you're on a mm-hmm. plane to go get them. And that's just yeah. the way the industry works. Now, I want to ask you this just because I, I don't know if you have an opinion on this or not. I've been reading a lot about I lived in Brooklyn uh, for about seven years when I was down there. During the... I t- when I moved to Brooklyn, it was during that How period. long ago was this? This was 2007? 2008? I would uh, say you'd fit perfectly in yes. Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. It, well, we tried to move to Williamsburg, which was at the time where everyone wanted to move. And when we, so we got there, uh, Williamsburg had already blown up, and it was all rich white moms and yuppie parents mm-hmm. and, and just, like, fancy like Cadillac baby strollers. And I was like, we can't afford to live here. So we ended up moving into Bed-Stuy, into what we used to refer to as, like, the Williamsburg overflow, mm-hmm. which was where everyone who wanted to move to Williamsburg but couldn't afford it lived. And for what happened, I lived on Bedford and Nostrand. I don't mind saying now because I lived, you know, or I'm sorry, Bedford and Kosciuszko was the street I lived on. Now, is that on the Bedford stop on, on the, the G? Yeah, on the G. On the G. I was on the G. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I watched this neighborhood for about seven years before I came back go from like equidistant between the Marcy Projects and Pratt Institute, go from like a place no one wanted to live to getting a uh, do or dine restaurant and a scratch bakery and dough donuts, and all of a sudden, this area blows up and now it's getting really gentrified and really expensive to live there. And then after I leave, I find out that a lot of these stores have already closed because they can't afford the rent, rent. now that the things went up. And this is happening a lot, I read, in fashion as well. On Bleecker Street, a lot of these 
long-term fashion staples are leaving these stores because the rents, after these 20 years of having the same rent, all of a sudden shoots up and there's no point in keeping anymore. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it is a problem. Yeah. And over the last, uh, I would say we're now approaching like three, four, probably four years now because I've been here, uh, I've been in my job now for a year last March, like mm-hmm. two years almost in the area. Yeah. And before I left, so I'd say two years before I left New York City. Yeah. Uh, there, that was a serious problem. Mm. I, I remember walking on a stretch in Soho yeah. uh, between um, um, uh, uh, Nolita and Soho in, sure. in that area there and walking down a street that was it was bustling. It was full of uh, women's boutiques, uh, very expensive women's boutiques yeah. where you would see like two things on a fixture and each one of them were $2,000 to boarded up windows. <laughs> and when that happens, uh, you know, it's, I don't. It's it draws the wrong crowd. It mm-hmm. makes the neighborhood unsafe. It, you yeah. know, people are hanging out in the area that shouldn't be hanging yeah. out in the area. And I have to say, in all my time in New York City, mm-hmm. I never once felt unsafe or in yeah. a situation that I didn't feel like I was in control of. Yeah, for sure. And, I, yeah. and all of a sudden, then I did. You know, I was walking around. I'm like looking over my shoulder. The mm-hmm. you know the streets are dark. The lights aren't mm-hmm. on. Uh, and it is a sad thing. And you look at a perfect example of what you were referring to is Ninth Avenue mm-hmm. in New York City. Yeah. Uh, I was just there for business, uh, and I was walking down Ninth Avenue, and there were three stores on the west side of Ninth Avenue around 47th, 48th mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. in there that some really great clothing stores yeah. were kicked out because mm-hmm. of rent. They went in, they gutted this place, they have these great chandeliers, they're beautiful, oh, yeah. the lights are on 24-7. <laughs> This place is still empty. These three buildings are still empty. They have been empty now for five years. Yeah, it's... And I'm like, how could this just be sitting there empty? I I worked in Times Square for, God, six of the seven years I was down there. I was a waiter. I'm sorry. Yeah, I waited waited tables at a big-time Italian restaurant called Carmine's, and I was there. Oh, my gosh. Carmine's family style dining. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was there. and, And I spent a lot of time in that neighborhood, in that sort of area, you know, waiting for cash after work and going to the bars. And that's just a... It's such an odd... It's almost like Disneyland now when I go to... <laughs> in Times Square? Yeah, it's oh, crazy. Isn't it bizarre? It's, I actually like Disneyland... Uh, sorry, Disneyland. I like <laughs> Times Square. Freudian slip. Uh, late at night when I would go to work at like one thirty, two in the morning because there really wouldn't be anybody out there. Just, and it's just, But the lights are on. <laughs> lights are on here. It's kind of that. Lights are on. Nobody's home. Uh, and, I I gotta, and I have to ask you this. Uh, one of the things I noticed when I did... You had a vacation home here before you lived in Utica. Is this true? Uh, yeah, you're reading the OD article. I was reading the OD article. I did. I was just curious. Yeah, people still ask me about that. Well, I'm, I'm just, like, it's partially yeah. right. It's well, I guess what right. my, curi- my curiosity in general was, like, for whatever reason, whether you had a vacation property here or not, um, what drew you to Utica as a place you were going back and forth from? Like, was there family? I have, yeah, yeah, well, friends. Yeah, friends? Yeah, sure. I had friends up, up have, who have a place up on Fourth Lake. Oh, wonderful. And oh, yeah, it's it very nice. Lake. and. Uh, so I would go, you know, that's how I became familiar with the area is that, hmm. uh, you know, when, you know, we would come here either on a weekend or a long weekend or, uh, or however it might be is that we would end up spending time up at their place. And it was, mm-hmm. and you know, it was a beautiful and it's gorgeous country. It's wonderful and, there. And it was just, you know, it was nice and easy yeah. from New York city. So, uh, that's how I kind of ended up in Barneville cause yeah. I was familiar with the area. This is the first summer in, I would say, 10 years that we did not go up to Inlet or Fourth Lake or Third Lake to do a week. We used to do it every year. Me and my buddies just sort of like our like friends trip. I love that area so much. It's so nice and so, so beautiful. I, I went kayaking 
two, uh, actually three weeks is Saturday. Oh. It's kayaking up on uh, the Moose River. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I mean, it was the most beautiful experience. Yeah, you know, I I mean, it's just like I'm, I'm kayaking along, and there comes this little like beaver, and he's floating, and like he's passing me on his back, you know, and he's just like going by, and he just kind of like, hey, dude, what's up? And he kept going, you know, like, afraid I'm going to hit him with my paddle, and he just kind of went under, and it was beautiful. I did kayaking for the first time actually not too long ago. I, I worked for uh, Utah College, so I was doing a field trip where I was chaperoning for a bunch of high school kids, and I was taking them kayaking, and it was a lot of fun. I'd never gone before. And it was a lot of fun for the first few minutes until I realized that none of these kids had ever gone before, and they didn't pick it up as quickly as I did. So they're all in the bushes and pushing each other out. I'm like, all right, just, I got to, like, get out of the kayak and pushing people. I was like, this would be really I, relaxing. I had a couple of those experiences. Oh, yeah. where I was like, all of a sudden I was in, like, I felt like I was in the Tulies. I'm like, I got to get out of here. So let me ask you about uh, Broadway Utica. When did you first get in, uh, you've been sitting by almost two years you've been there now? Uh, a year in March. year in March. Okay. March 1st was one year. How did you initially get linked with, uh, with Broadway Theater League and all that? Uh, well, I was I left New York City. Sure. Uh, I hit my 30-year anniversary in the fashion industry. Mm. I knew I wanted to do something different. My contract was yeah. up for renewal and with Ellie Tahari. Yeah. And I was the vice president of Ellie Tahari at that time. Yes. And I knew my contract was up for renewal. I knew I didn't want to renew. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to kind of figure something out quick. Sure. I decided not to renew and not have anything. That's that's scary. Uh, it was scary. Yeah, <laughs> it was scary. scary. It was... Um, <laughs> You know, it was kind of like, oh, what am I going to do? And, yeah. uh, you know, and working for Ellie is a tough thing. Yeah. Ellie's not an easy person to work for. Uh, you have to be very sk- thick-skinned. Uh, he has a, a reputation of being very difficult, and it's all true. Do you think that had some uh, bearing on you deciding it was time to be over with, or do you think the time uh, was up anyway? I think the time was up anyway. Yeah. I really do. Uh, now, Ellie and I had a great relationship. Sure, we did. Sure. And, I, and we had a mutual respect. Mm-hmm. I, was ne- I never fell victim uh, to Ellie as some of the others did. And, sure. But I did witness it. <laughs> 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 I never wanted to be on the receiving end. Uh, but, um, you know, he is a talent. He's a, you know, he, he's a genius in his mind, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it comes to design sure. and color. And he pos- makes some of the most beautiful women's clothing and men's as well mm-hmm. uh, out there his, his stuff is so gorgeous and yeah. to be able to have the opportunity to uh, work with him so closely and to learn from him uh, to have the exposure to the celebrity level sure uh, that I you know Steve Madden was a celebrity did not see himself as that right uh, but he was mm. and little girls worshipped right. the ground he walked on <laughs> not, no pun intended um, you know and Ellie Tahari was uh, is, was a celebrity in himself as well he dressed celebrities mm-hmm. so you know that was um, that was a part of the job yeah. that uh, was fascinating to me right. and uh, it was uh, you know something that I was able to learn from and I having that tier uh, on my resume that tier mm-hmm. distribution being you know, selling to Bergdorf Goodman and Saks Fifth Avenue and Neiman Marcus uh, yeah. versus a Macy's or mm. a Dillard's. Yeah, it's a different you know, level. It's a different, of, exactly. Yeah. And that's really what's your, in a career wow. in the fashion industry, that's mm. where you want to go. Uh, so I felt that I had hit every tier and yeah. every level within the industry. I'd done women's wear, I'd done mm. footwear, I'd done men's wear. Uh, I was a men's buyer at one point in time. I did the, uh, created the financial planning division at Macy's. So mm. there's all these different things that I, I had done so much on my resume that I was really at a point where, what do I want to do next? Sure. You know, what is it really for me to do? Mm-hmm. And I happened to, um, you know, I came back here. Sure. And, because uh, I have my home here. Mm. 
And the uh, well, very good friend of mine is the sister of the president of the board at Broadway Theater League, yeah. uh, Eileen Pronovis. Mm-hmm. And Eileen uh, and I talked, and she kind of threw this out there as, yeah, as a possibility. And mm-hmm. the, the rest kind of was in history. It was mm-hmm. history. First, I wasn't going to take it. Yeah, I was like, I know nothing about Broadway. I would not be good for you. But, so you uh, didn't know much about... Do you, you were not into theater at all, really, necessarily? Or? Uh, into theater from, as... As a spectator, even? Yes, as oh, a yeah. spectator. Mm. Uh, absolutely. Mm. Uh, yeah, when you're in New York City and you have the live mm. theater at your fingertips yeah. all the time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and I... But I was, you know, I was the one sitting in the seat. Right, not the one... Not the one running <laughs> different, the show. Sure. And uh, mm. so... I had to learn. I had to learn fast. Sure. Uh, when I took yeah. over, it's good uh, though. Sometimes I I feel uh, like sometimes the best learning opportunity is to jump in and learn to swim, right? And I think you that, had to. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the, and the thing is, you know, the Broadway Theater League has been here for sixty years. Yeah. We're we're celebrating our sixtieth anniversary this season, and we had to put you know put a season together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I came in in March, usually I mean by March this year, my second season. Uh, I had already had my season put to bed right. for several months sure. before that. I mm-hmm. I was pretty much yeah I was routing in January mm-hmm. in New York City. Yeah, uh, middle of January I was with the producers in New York City routing mm-hmm. shows. Oh, so I had already put my season to bed. Whereas a year ago I started March first and this, we did not have a confirmed season. Mm. So mm-hmm. I had to figure it out, put it together. You know, on so is that how that works? So you have to reach down to the people in New York and ask them, because I have no idea how that process. Eve, that's a that's yeah. fascinating. Wow, it is. I mean, in in every, you know, from a spectator point of view, yeah. you, know, you come to the theater, you know, you get there at seven twenty, the curtain goes up at seven thirty, you walk out the door at ten, right. and you're done. <laughs> uh, but the what goes into it beforehand mm-hmm. uh, is pretty remarkable. Uh, it's uh, you know, I've I this year I think that I'm close to. Um, you know, considering it a well-oiled machine. Yeah. <laughs> Last year was learning by some of my mistakes mm-hmm. and and figuring out, okay, this didn't work or that didn't work and this is why it didn't work. Let me fix it for this year. And we, you know, I'm, this year we're, 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 we're moving, we're progressing, mm-hmm. everything is happening on time. I spent a lot of time in New York City with yeah. the producers and mm-hmm. the booking agents and yeah. uh, the management teams there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about relationships. Yeah. And I was really able to draw off of my experience in the fashion industry. Yeah. Uh, you know, instead of me buying fabric and selling to major department stores and being responsible for, you know, factories and stores and uh, and the financial side, I'm buying Broadway shows now. Yeah. It's still the same concept. fabrication. Yeah, yeah. You're still selling the product. Yeah, you're, yeah. It's, it's a product. Yeah, exactly. And, and I sort the product lines like... You know, yeah. the fashion industry is like, okay, yeah. how many dresses are we going to have in line? How many jackets yeah. are we going to have in line? And you're still massaging that same sort of skill set that you've had before, just in a different uh, context, really, yeah, I absolutely. suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, see, that's, I think, something that, you know, over the years I've, I've struggled to find, like, something I was good at over the years. Because all the things I'm good at don't translate well. Teaching was good for me because I, I know a lot of useless knowledge and I can talk a lot. So people were like, yeah, it's okay. When I was working for the call centers, that was always a problem because I had to sit in a booth all day. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to find where your skill set best serves you. Now, I got to say, um, uh, I, I'm not sure about this. Is your office in the Stanley every day? No. I was going to say, I was curious if you're at the Stanley all the time. Uh, the, the Stanley is uh, is a building yeah, yeah. Uh, that anybody can rent. Sure. Right, right, right. Uh, and, and, we, mm. and I'm a presenter. Yeah. Uh, I belong to the Broadway League and the Tonys. Right, right, right. Uh, as a member, sure. so 
I have that um, exposure to everything going on in sure. the Broadway industry. Right. Uh, we have equity shows. We have non-equity shows. Mm-hmm. Equity shows are governed by the Tonys. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of rules that we have to follow and uh, a lot of, um, you know, uh, I don't want to say red tape, but it is. I'm sure basically. there is. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, when you're dealing with something of that quality, of mm-hmm. that level, uh, it's really important that uh, you treat it as a brand. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like I have my brand, which is Broadway Theater League of Utica or Broadway Utica. Mm-hmm. And then each one of the shows, it's that's a brand. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for me, the way I look at it, it's, you know, looking at the skill sets of the fashion industry, you know, it's like one show is, is an Ellie Tahari, one show is a Michael Kors, one show will be yeah. my Gucci. Right. You know, that's how I think of it. And so you lay it all out and you have your big shows and you have your smaller shows and... Uh, you know, and the bigger and the better the show, the less profit margin. Right. Uh, so, you know, and which is the same thing, like when you sell a top tier designer, Mm -hmm. there's very little margin in it. So the same concepts all apply here in this industry as well. So when I'm working with producers Mm -hmm. and booking agents and all of that, uh, it's all about my negotiations. I negotiate every single line item with them. Now, uh, before I forget to plug you guys, it's broadwayutica.com. People want to go and sign up for uh, for ticket packages. And I noticed you have a lot of different packages available as well for people. Yes, we yeah. do. We have a lot of different packages, and they range for uh, different levels. The If you um, are a current subscriber, uh, you can advance from your current level up one level. Right. Uh, if you are a new subscriber, oh, you have to start out in the platinum section, mm-hmm. and you can move up each year. Sure. At, oh, okay. Request. Interesting. And as you move up, it uh-huh. also is a little more expensive. The closer you get sure. to the stage, the more expensive it Certainly. is. Uh, so we do have uh, different levels. Uh, but to become a new subscriber, you can do that in person mm-hmm. at our offices at 250 Agency. We are across the street from, mm-hmm. the, uh, from the Stanley or from Swifties, whichever mm-hmm. direction you are, uh, on the corner of Court and Genesee Street. So you're not too far away from the Maiden Utica offices. We're down where we're on Bank Place. We're yeah. walking distance from you guys. Right, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you can come into a 258 Agency building where we are on the ground floor. And you can do it in person or you can call us. We can do it over the phone as well. So you guys have seven shows, I want to say, that I saw on here already for this 2017-2018 season. Uh, Love Never Dies, Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, The Illusionists, Cinderella, uh, Cabaret, and Chicago. Now, I know that you can't pick certainly one show because you have to be unbiased about how excited you are for all of the shows, certainly. Oh, no, I have the one, I have my favorites. <laughs> well, I would assume that Cabaret and Chicago were probably the two that are the most uh, widely known, right, for people who aren't into the theater industry the way that, you know, someone else like me, like I might be. Uh, I'll say the thing I'm most excited for is Love Never Dies. Oh. I can't believe that yeah. you guys are getting that. I'm so curious about it because I've read about Love Never Dies. Uh, and I, when I grew up, Phantom of the Opera was probably the first... Broadway musical that was ever presented to me. It wasn't even on Broadway. My parents went to see it in Toronto, Toronto and bought the and bought the cassette and brought it back home. And I must have listened to that cassette tape a million times. I, I'm not even going to show you my uh, my text message to another radio personality in this area <laughs> who went and saw Phantom last night for the first time. Yeah, and texted me when uh, he and his family were there. Mm. And my response to him was, oh my gosh, I can't believe you never saw Phantom. I just didn't know that. Yeah. He always asked me to see oh, yeah. what shows I want him to see. And I gave him a list. Phantom was never one of them. Uh, because it is my all-time favorite. Sure. I've seen it 17 yeah. times. It's amazing. And I told him, I said, oh my gosh, I've seen it 17 <laughs> times and I still listen mm-hmm. to the soundtrack. Yeah. The, every time as if it's the first time. And now Love Never Dies, for people who don't know, this is the sequel to Phantom of the Opera, which I don't think it was... 
very successful initially. I read I read a lot about this. Like it was on is West London when they first yeah it was yeah. it was uh, opened up on London yeah and it, it did well it, and uh, did it do London. critically well though did I well it did well in, it's theater's different in yeah London. it's yeah. not the same as it is here on Broadway mm-hmm. and what happens is that uh, some things get lost in translation sure uh, British humor is different than American yes. humor. <laughs> Uh, if you sure. if you aren't open, I mean, just anybody you know, go on and watch absolutely fabulous, uh, and mm-hmm. you know, and some people sit there and watch this yeah. and just don't they don't get it. Right, I Monty Python was like that for me I, as a kid. Yeah, I yeah, laugh like, hysterically. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, takes time. <laughs> so there, you know, there's that element of it as well. Sure. Uh, and in this particular show, I mean, I've been working on this since the day I walked in my door, and at Broadway Utica, it's this been a project of mine is to get them here to yeah. Utica mm. and when uh, initially I mean I went through several months thinking that it wasn't going to happen because Andrew Lloyd Webber went back to the drawing board yeah. on quite a few uh, pieces he uh, reworked the score mm. he you know, met up with some of the choreographers and they reworked some of mm. the choreography uh, he really wanted it to be uh, and I, not in a bad way but Americanized a little bit Yes, because what you don't know mm most people don't know about Love Never Dies is that it is life after the opera house yeah. in Paris and you know what happens to Christine what happens to the Phantom it's set in New York right? it's not it's, it's not <laughs> it's set, that's the weirdest part about it yeah, to me they come back to New York the Phantom it's so weird the Phantom vanishes yeah uh, nobody knows where he's gone uh, and Christine gets lured back to yeah. uh, gets lured to the US yeah. to Broadway uh, for a role and so she, yeah. uh, you know, she's already had, she has a, ba- a child at this time, and uh, she and she picks up and she moves back to New York. She moves yeah. to New York City for this role on Broadway, not realizing that yeah. it's actually the Phantom that has lured her back. Mm. Um, and then they eventually end up in Coney Island. Uh, so <laughs> Which is where, if the Phantom was going to really live somewhere in New York he City, he would live in Coney Island. Absolutely. I mean, Coney Island, to wrap it back around, is one of the few places in New York where I was like, I don't know how comfortable I feel here <laughs> in Coney Island now that the lights are out. I really, really don't. But uh, yeah, it, it is going to be a fabulous yeah. production. I'm really yeah. uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I talk to the, the team at Love Never Dies yeah. uh, just about every single day. <laughs> at this point, I was on the phone with them today. I was on the phone with them a long time yeah. yesterday. Working out, you know, working with them, and mm. we wanted it to be perfect. Yeah. And with this particular show, and what makes it so special here is that they chose Utica. Yeah. To open this show because we have an incredible stage. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, it is uh, stage. we built, or the stage got rebuilt ten mm. years ago. Yeah. It's the ten year anniversary of uh, the Stanley Stage being expanded, mm. and I know Broadway Utica has contributed an enormous amount of money to the Stanley Theater uh, to make this pro- you know that project happen. Yeah. We have still contributed a lot of money since the project ended. I know the city and uh, you know and the county and the state and giving grants. So we have this beautiful location and what we can do is we have the opportunity to tech shows here. Yeah. And teching shows brings, you know, doesn't always bring a ton of people into the theaters to see the show, although mm. this one I believe will be different. Yeah, I think so. Uh, what it does is it brings people into the economy. Yeah. Uh, these, you know, fan, or, uh, Love Never Dies arrives uh, in uh, 58 days, mm. and the curtain is in 61 days. Yeah. So 
Oh, I'm sorry, 91 days to be corrected there. 91 days. So they will be living I was gonna say, yeah. for uh, four, five weeks. For five weeks, <laughs> they'll be living in Utica. Yeah. And we will have the entire cast and the crew of this huge Broadway production living in, you know, on Genesee Street. They'll be in the Radisson. They'll be at the Hotel Utica. They'll be eating at our mm-hmm. restaurants. They'll be at Munson Williams. They'll be at the zoo. Uh, you name it, they all get days off. Yeah. Uh, you know, so they'll be here putting a lot of money into our economy, which is probably something people don't even give a second thought to. Otherwise, I mean, it's like a, a really, really nice benefit of having these things happen, and it's not something people would think about otherwise, right? No, and you know, and it's um, it just amazes me that we're able to you know, attract them here mm. and let them live here and let them experience our restaurants and our culture. We get them into our dance studios. Uh, we have, you know, I have 60 youth ambassadors uh, from last year, and we're hoping to have 60 from this year yeah. uh, that <clears throat> we'll get to experience having them here. Uh, it's just so, it's great for the youth, it's great for the culture, it's great for the city, it's great for the economy. And sometimes, you know, people don't see that part of it. Yeah. It's, you know, they're just so focused on, you know, really what, yeah. what their taste level is. And uh, don't necessarily consider the fact that it's really community driven. I think that's gotten worse in the last few months and years with people's opinions. I'll, I'll, I'll stay <laughs> off that for now. Uh, so I know I've kept you much longer than I already planned to oh. keep you. And I know it's a beautiful Friday and you want to go relax and enjoy your time off. So I won't keep you too much longer. Uh, I will ask one question for you. I did go on your Twitter and I did see that you are an avid runner. Are you running the Boilermaker? No, well, hmm. <laughs> I'm going to say no based on that Well, expression. I'll tell you what happened. Uh, no, I do have my bib. I don't know. Can you sell those bibs? Can people buy uh, them? There's know. like a black market for it. You can get oh, it on the internet. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Facebook. You can get in trouble. I mean, <laughs> I mean we can talk about that off the air. That's fine. Uh, uh, no, I do have a bib this year, yeah. and uh, I had a bad accident last mm. September. Mm, sorry. And, uh, you know, I was trying to be uh, outdoorsy, and it didn't work mm-hmm. to my favor. At least. So I had a bad accident, and I had a, a surgery at the end of uh, September last yeah. year. And then I had another one in February, and I was in the hospital for two weeks. Mm, uh, so I just haven't like really yeah. felt, you know. Right, great. I hear you. So I, I I'm not going to be ready for it this year. I hear you. For any of our uh, GFOPs out there, if you want to buy or bargain with Derek for his bib, get at me. <laughs> slide into the DMs. We'll talk about that later. Uh, Derek, again, I want to thank you for spending so much time with us. Let's get into the lightning round questions, and then I can release you to the world. Uh, so these are the same six or seven questions we ask everybody who's been on the show, and I will start with this. Derek Clark, when you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? Black. Black coffee. Yeah, and, I, and can I say check. black and strong like my men? That's not... Hey, that's okay. Okay. <laughs> you can say what you <laughs> That want. is not true. That's not true. <laughs> I, but it's fun to say. It's fun to say. Uh, as you're drinking your first cup of coffee in the morning, what's the first piece of media you read? Uh, I go straight to Twitter. Twitter? Twitter's first for you? Twitter's first for me. Twitter was always first for me, although lately... It's going to sound weird. I've gotten into Reddit. I find Reddit to be very fascinating. It took me a long time to get into it because... I'll try. The problem with Reddit is, much like anything else, I can fall off into sections of Reddit that just trigger me and make me angry, like all the the pro-Donald Trump stuff on the one side. I'm like, why don't I get into this? Why don't I read this? It's 8 o'clock in the morning. What are you angry? Ah." So you have to be careful with Reddit. But Twitter is always safer for me. At least I've tailored my Twitter feed. Uh, So what was your first automobile... My first automobile was a, uh, it was a gold Trans Am. Yes. <laughs> yes. A fiber Trans Am with the eagle on the hood. Yes. With white leather interior. <laughs> you still have that? That's amazing. No, I do not. And you know what? Uh, Michael Galimi, our, one of our, yes. um, one of our city um, uh, people, 
he drives one down the street. I, I believe his is blue. And every time I <laughs> see dro- him in that, I laugh hysterically. I want to say he drove it here when we did when we interviewed him for the podcast. Oh, did he really? I, I give him a hard time. I was like, you're the only Republican I've ever voted for in my whole life. I just want to see him <laughs> all that. I tell him all the time. I love his family too. His, him and his him, me and his sister go yeah. way 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 back to yeah, high school. I love I love Mike. Um, all right, so uh, you may or may not have taken your gold Trans Am with the white leather to see this event, but what was your first live music concert? My first live was Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks, just by herself? Uh, yeah, Stevie Nicks by herself. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if it was the Belladonna Tour mm. or was, I think it was the Belladonna Tour. Mm. If I'm rem- did they just did Fleetwood Mac like just get back together without her or something? I think? Yeah, well, yeah, they're doing a tour. They're right doing now. a tour they're now, together. but it's not her. She's not there. No, she's with them. She's back now. Oh, yeah, she is. Yes, and uh, I'm a, I mean, a huge Stevie Nicks fan. Yeah. I'm a huge uh, Tina Turner fan as well. And uh, yeah, I love Stevie Nicks. I, she's yeah. she's on my office a lot. I was born in '86, but my my stepdad uh, was a really like big nerd for classic rock and all sorts of stuff. So I have a weird like part of me that likes music from generations that I probably shouldn't be into, like Fleetwood Mac and Steely Dan and a lot of like like the Traveling Wilburys and weird stuff that I shouldn't know about. I'm too young. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm from San Francisco, so, you know, it, it was a lot of the mamas and papas and the, yeah, you know, a lot of the free true. love type stuff, but mm. that was the generation of my brothers and sisters. <laughs> I had 10 years between me and my next sibling. Okay, so yeah, I'm 10 years, my siblings are 10 years older than me, but they were in the Guns N' Roses skid uh, row phase. <laughs> that, so, okay, so they were kind of <laughs> my generation. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of which, give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Oh my, uh, you know, I I am not a huge reality show mm-hmm. fan, sure. but I do love my housewives. Oh, housewives! Uh, that's my right. yeah, that's okay. my addiction. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I you know it's New York and Beverly Hills. Those are the two that I am <laughs> faithful about. Um, when it comes to movies, this says a lot about my humor. Yeah. Uh, is my favorite all-time movie is Nine to Five. Nine to Five. I haven't seen that one in a long time. <laughs> oh my god! That's my favorite all-time movie. <laughs> Um, I was there on opening night on Broadway as well right. when it opened, and uh, you know that says a lot about uh, what types of movies that I watch. Uh, when I go to to the movies, I just had a conversation with somebody yeah. the other night. Was I don't want to cry, I don't want to leave the theater upset or right. thinking of how could mm-hmm. that happen. Uh, I want to be entertained. I want to laugh. I want to have fun. Uh, I want yeah. to be. I want my face to hurt from laughing. That's fair. That's in in I uh, in New York. I used to go to movies a lot alone, mm? a lot, oh. which was like a, on I, a hot day. I was always in the theater the by myself. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things I've noticed, like I've made this argument with people before, I'm not going to go to the movie theater for a movie that's not going to benefit from being seen in the big screen. So most of the movies I tend to go see in the movie theater are like big budget shit. Like I just want to watch like Fast and the Furious Eight because it's not going to be good on TV. It'll be cool if it's on a big giant screen and I can laugh at Vin Diesel. But like. <laughs> But you were entertained. But I'm entertained, right? I don't need, like, like uh, I always go back to the movie Nebraska. Did you ever see the movie Nebraska? No. It's, it's a black and white movie from a couple years ago, and it's like Will Forte and his dad, and his dad thinks he won, like, the Publishers Clearinghouse, so he's going to go to Nebraska to cash it in, and his son's like, it's not real, it's a scam, but he goes with him anyway. That's the whole point of the movie. Right. It's a brilliant movie. It's way better than it should be, but I remember watching at home being like, I'm glad I didn't spend money in the theater to see this, because it's exactly the same. <laughs> it's the same movie. Oh, I, didn't, I, I can get, I get nothing, that. Nothing blew up. Nothing, like, salacious happened. It's just like a guy and his grandpa walking to, in black and white. I could have watched this anywhere. I could have watched it on my phone. I still would have liked it. You know, there's someone like Melissa McCarthy for me. Oh. It's like... Melissa McCarthy, uh, I mean, I, I she makes me bust up. You know, I don't I, mind her, 
But I watched a movie with her and Sandra Bullock called The Heat, and I don't think Sandra Bullock's funny. That's my yeah, she, <laughs> she try, yeah, she's very dry or sarcastic and kind of like straight face kind of. Uh, she took me out of the movie. I was like, I she she not trying at all. <laughs> I feel like she's not she's not interested in being funny. I'm sorry. Uh, and I guess uh, I got two more for you. Uh, if you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your family, who would it be and why? Who's not my family and why? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it would probably be, and you know, it would be the person now, but it probably wouldn't have been the person <coughs> three to five years ago. Sure. Uh, and that would have been Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton, yes. And, and you know, it's, yeah. I run, um, you know, right now it's because of all the hype and sure. the interest and the <laughs> fact that, uh, you know, we've been able to take this, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda has taken this incredible, um, uh, you know, part of history and has <laughs> made the youth interested in it. It's, it's wild. And I'm like, how, how, it was just this, this chemistry, it's something he created that, brought the youth in. They're interested in history. They're interested in theater. Uh, he's busting records on Broadway, and it's driven by kids. What I think is wild about the Hamilton thing is on paper, if you write it down on paper and sell it to somebody and say, this is what this this show is, they'd say, are you joking? It's people rapping American history? Like, what do you? what is this? Like, right. this, is, this is like Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark all over again. Like, we can't do this anymore. But, like, <laughs> it... It's such a phenomenon. Like, my niece and nephew, I got them the soundtrack for Christmas. I had to get them the edited soundtrack, which I was shocked it was a thing that I couldn't buy on Amazon. It was so popular. I was like, what is going on? I feel like... Because Book of Mormon was it when I was there. When I was in New York the last few years, like, it was just... Everyone wanted to go see Book of Mormon, and nobody could get tickets for it. And it was just... Everyone was going to the lottery every morning and trying to get Broadway tickets for it. And I, it, I, I was like, it's not worth it. I'll see it eventually at some point in time. That was always one of my uh, you know most favorite things to do. You know, was I was walking through the theater district, oh, yeah. going to my office, which was on the corner of Forty Second and Fifth. Okay, well, uh, all right. so I would yeah, sit because yeah. I wouldn't go down Forty Second because it was just crazy. It's a mess. So yeah, it's terrible. I would you know do all the side back streets and uh, you know to see all the uh, you know it was always mostly kids. I'd say ninety percent kids that would be standing in line in the theaters at yeah. seven thirty in the morning oh, yeah. to get you know in line to be able to play a lottery, whether oh, yeah. it was. Uh, you know, it, whether it was rent when rent, rent was on thirty nine, yes. Uh, you know, yeah. at, uh, uh, you know that was a big one, and you know, of course, um, uh, Book of Mormon. And Book of Mormon. I'm trying to think of what was on because I was on that for I was on forty fourth and seventh for God, almost six years. I was there almost every other day. So I'm trying to think. That's that's so Phantom was across the across when across I got on the subway. And then I want to say for a while it was that terrible Green Day musical that everyone loved. Like that, I, I, had to I, walk remember, under, I know what you're talking about. Now. I had to walk under that sign like every day. I was like, I can't believe because I was a punk rocker kid growing up, and I was just like, man, this is something <laughs> seems wrong about this. I would leave my office at night, and I would, you know, I'd cut <laughs> down in front of Bryant Park, and I would go down <sighs> Bryant Park Forty First. Bryant Park's underrated. Yeah, sneaky yeah. New York, <laughs> sneaky. Uh, yeah, don't. It would, don't go I, if you're going to visit, by the yeah, way. Yeah, don't, don't ever go to Ryan Park. It's horrible. You know, the birds will poop on you. <laughs> the trees, it's just, it's a nightmare. Uh, but my favorite place to go. Oh, uh, yes. I would awesome. I would have lunch probably in Bryan Park uh, oh, yeah. four or five days, depending on how the weather was uh, out in Bryan Park. And that was the way you would just escape for, for an hour. Um, I have one last bonus question for you, and only because you're a true New Yorker who spent so much time there. This is a question that people ask me all the time. I still get it. I've been back in Utica for almost two years now, or more than two years now. I still get it. Would you ever go back? Uh, yes. Yes. Hmm? I, mean, I, I would. Uh, I, you know, I'm fortunate yeah. 
that uh, my job takes me there. My job yeah, is New sure. York. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I represent Utica when I'm there yeah. and I sell Utica. That's mm-hmm. what I do. Yeah. Uh, I try to convince shows that they need to come here. Yeah. Uh, they need to live here. So I'm fortunate that I get my fix. Your fix, yeah. Uh, the day that the fix stops, uh, I probably would be a little worried. I loved, I really loved it when I was there. And then the last year I was there, I kind of struggled finding work. I'd gotten out of college and I was just waiting tables and I was in my late 20s and I was just like, I don't And know. you weren't an actor or a singer and you were waiting tables? I, well, I was in, I was a historian. I had a history degree. So I was trying to get into a lot of the museums and I had gotten into a museum very briefly. And then like the week after they hired me, they told me they couldn't keep me on and they could keep me on as an intern. And I was like, I already quit my job. I can't. Like, I can't afford to stay here otherwise. And uh, so I, I got a little burned out. And then weird circumstances happened, which I've talked about many times in the podcast before, so I won't bore the listeners with the story again. But weird money situation happened with our landlord was kind of a crook. And uh, we ended up just getting paid to leave. And I go back now, and I get about three or four days. And I go, all right, I think I'm I'm a little, it's a little much for me now. <laughs> After a couple of days? I don't have, the, it's always been a money issue for me. I never had enough money to really live the way I wanted to down there, I feel like. It was always a struggle. And that's the thing, is that you have to, uh, you know, San Francisco, you know, for me, you know, living in San Francisco, living in New York City, both very expensive cities uh, to live in, and, you know, my salary, my wage, was always, you know, based off of, you know, the standard of living. I was very fortunate in that sense. But, you know, I do know a lot of people that, Relocated. I mean, I had one I, person who reported to me. Uh, I hired her at Ellie Tahari, and she comes in for an interview. She's mm-hmm. a cute blonde girl, and she's like ready to take on the world. First job out of college, yeah. and she's all great. And then <laughs> I call her back for a second interview two days later, mm-hmm. and she comes in, and I go to let her go, and she gets like starts just bawling and crying. She's like, "You can't. You have to hire me." <laughs> And she says, see that suitcase? And I look out into the lobby and sticking out of the closet in the lobby is a suitcase. She says, that's my life. I picked up San Francisco, moved to New York City. I have enough money to get me through three weeks. I've already been here a week. And I need a job. I hired her on the spot. Yeah, it's and she's still there. That's what it takes sometimes. <laughs> That's those moments of like vulnerability though. Sometimes go a long way. Oh yeah, it got you know, And I was like, okay, if you, if you can get on your hands and knees and beg and cry to, to, for a job, you're going to do everything you can to make sure that you do a great job. And uh, and Derek, uh, besides uh, community activism, besides fashion, besides theater, besides New York City and San Francisco, give me one more thing that you, Derek Clark, are passionate about. Uh, LGBTQ youth in our community. Mm. Top. Top of the list. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't. Uh, I always kind of gun shy to approach these kind of things because oh, I don't, don't. Well, it's not that. It's that like I don't want you to think that. Oh, I want you to come in here and talk about that specifically. But you, you know, it's in your Twitter feed. I didn't want to bring it up. Um, do you feel like <laughs> I found this interesting? Uh, in 2009, Obama was the first president to really make June Pride Month and make it part Fish. of the officially make it Pride Month. But it wasn't recognized by this. But not this year. Yeah. Does the current like state of our country and government scare you with the way things are going, or oh, do you absolutely. feel like it's okay? So yeah, hands down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know everything that I'm about right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know um, about the theater. Yeah. Uh, the arts are at risk right now. Mm-hmm. 
uh, the arts in our schools is at risk. The LGBTQ <sighs> yeah. youth, the whole community is at risk right now. Uh, I, healthcare, I can't even imagine. Uh, you know, I grew up in San Francisco in the late '80s and early '90s, yeah. and you know that's when uh, AIDS was at its its yeah. peak. I did my thesis at at the Fashion Institute mm-hmm. on the AIDS epidemic mm-hmm. uh, in 1987. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, at that point in time, I mean, I look back now and say, look at you know what I knew then, mm. and at that time, uh, it was a death sentence, mm. and I clearly wrote about that. Yeah. Uh, so to be able to see how things progressed and how things changed, and uh, how modern medicine has been able to help those that have uh, HIV yeah. and AIDS is incredible. And right now, we are at a state, we're at a point where if healthcare gets cut. Uh, our LGBTQ community is at a high, high risk. Yeah. Uh, people, if they don't have their medications, which mm-hmm. they will not, mm-hmm. if the health care goes through the way that is currently written, uh, we will have the whole epidemic all over again. Yeah. That alarms me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the kids you know, are the ones that I'm yeah. most passionate about. When I moved to Utica, um, I, I would see the LGBTQ kids walking up and down Genesee Street they would see me, they would smile or wave, mm-hmm. and but they had hoodies over their heads. Mm-hmm. They would be always looking down, they weren't looking up. Uh, and I was like, this is wrong, this isn't right, these kids don't, they need to be proud of who they are. I've had various people come and talk to me about this. Do you feel, I, I've always felt from my perspective, but again, I'm like a cis white guy, I mean, so people sort of look at my opinions about this stuff and either call me a cock or they're like, you don't know shit about any of this, but I've always felt like Utica and my experience over the years is pretty accepting of most people but I don't necess- but I've had a lot of people tell me the opposite at that point do you do you feel like Utica does enough to like support its LGBTQ community uh, you know it's I have mixed feelings on it yeah uh, I think that we've come yeah. a long way in the last since I've been here sure uh, you yeah. know I, I was told you know right when I came here to kind of uh, keep that cause or those issues on the DL really uh, and I lasted a couple months yeah. keeping it on the DL <laughs> uh, before I realized that there really is an issue. And yeah. you know, to put it all into perspective, is that um, you know we have uh, you know a group of you. We have a, a, a large transgender population yes. too. Large transgender youth population yeah. in Utica. Um, you know, we're made up of you know Utica and a lot of villages and some very small cities. Yeah. And if you are in these outlining areas as an LGBTQ kid, Utica is your city. That's yes. the big city. That's where you're going to go. Yeah. And when they come here, you know, they need to feel like they can walk down the streets and feel safe, uh, be who they want to be. That's what I say to every kid out there is be who you want to be because everybody else is taken. Yeah. And be yourself. I love that. And that's what I preach. And, you know, I went out on, um, you know, I would say that I was nervous about it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and here we go. I'm going to get on my Mayor Palmieri no, please, thing I love it, yeah. real quick. No, please. Uh, I absolutely adore Mayor Palmieri. Great guy. And, uh, you know, and, and I will argue anybody till the bitter end on that. And mm-hmm. I love Sue Palmieri. And they, you know, I went to uh, the mayor and uh, with Kinky Boots and said, you know what, it was right after the Orlando shootings. And uh, I was at Hannah Park mm-hmm. with him. And I said, hey, I have the opportunity to bring a show in, and it's going to raise some eyebrows here. Yeah, And for sure. it would be my first show. Yeah. So 
you know, you know, do I bring it in? I it could be you know this incredible, groundbreaking show yeah. here that will make people stop and think, and it, we were actually there for the vigil for the Orlando shootings, and mm. uh, which was the timing could have been more yeah. perfect. Yeah. And he says, well, what's the show got to do with? And I said, it's about the LGBTQ community. It's about, you know, love and acceptance and tolerance and, uh, and accepting people for who they are, not who you want them to be. Yeah. Uh, he says, you do what you think is right. Mm. But in whatever you choose, I will support you 100%. And Sue will support you 100%. Uh, and I said, that's all I needed to hear. Wonderful. And that was where, that was a very pivotal moment. Um, I decided to, through Kinky Boots, raise some money uh, for the LGBTQ kids in the Q Center yeah. here in Utica. Uh, I went, what I call shaking my tin can, I went walking down Genesee Street with a tin can, mm. uh, hitting you know, everybody that I thought could help me make this happen. Mm. And we had an incredible event. We raised $12,000 uh, for the Q Center. Uh, and... You know, we just we if that was just in the press release last week, and so we gave them twelve. Yeah, and I wanted it to be done in during Pride Month. I yeah. wanted the yeah. them to get the check in the month of June during Pride Month, mm. and what we did was we drew an awareness to something that nobody wanted to think about, nobody wanted to talk about, nobody wanted to mm. know. Even you know, maybe they didn't even realize it existed here. Sure, uh, but we drew an awareness, and we happened to raise some money while we were doing it. Uh, we raised a lot more money than I ever thought we would. Mm -hmm. And that's why I would say that my opinion now is different than it was yeah. because people in Utica came out of the woodworks yeah. to support me. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they came out, they dug into their pockets mm -hmm. and, you know, and I had customers walk in giving me five, ten dollars said, you know, this mm -hmm. is all I can afford, but I don't want you to stop. Just keep going. And not only did we draw an awareness to a cause, I was able to use our Pledge for Purpose uh, community fund to, I created this fund to be a bridge between a cause and a show mm. and a cause in our community. Mm. Kinky Boots and the Q Center, LGBTQ not feeling accepted, love and tolerance, accepting everyone for who they are. That was the message of the show. This was our need. Mm. I was able to bridge the two with our Pledge for Purpose. Wonderful. Draw a lot of awareness to a cause and we raised some money at the same time. The Q Center right now is bursting at the seams. Uh, I just got an email from them uh, this week, and I was actually speak, you know, texting with uh, Sue Palmieri last night, mm. and we're having we're reconvening again yeah. to see, you know, for what we can do because the Q Center is busting. Yeah. There's nowhere to put these kids. They all feel great. They feel safe. They know, you know, mm. that they have an ally out there. Yeah. And, you know, and I promised them mm. that I would be their ally and do whatever I could to make Utica a better place for them. And now we need a new home. The Q Center <laughs> needs a new home. Maureen mm. O'Neill uh, from Syracuse who runs, works for ACR Health, mm. uh, a person you need to have on the I'll show. Have, give me the number yeah. if we get off. I'll, I'll, I'll get you on. I'll get her on here yeah, with wonderful. you. You need to talk to her. Um, incredible, incredible advocate mm. uh, for the Q Center and the kids. And she now is the full-time uh, executive director of the Q Center here Wonderful. in uh, Utica. Uh, it, they created a full-time position now to take mm. care of the Q Center. They never had that before. Yeah. Uh, so there's all kinds of great things. It's all progress, steps in the right direction, but again, it's all taking it back to the kids. It's, yeah. you know, we want them to feel safe. We want them to, I mean, 
walk on Broadway. Yeah. You know, people love Broadway shows. shows. I, the majority of the people who created these shows were gay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's, you know, and they're talented. And, Derek, uh, it was an absolute pleasure having you here today. Thank you for I know I've me. kept you way farther than I, I lied to you about pleasure. time. I'm sorry about that. Uh, listen, uh, I think that what you're doing is wonderful. I want to thank you for being part of the community and just doing your thing. And it's been a real pleasure to meet you. I'm uh, sorry we didn't have you on earlier. So. Oh, my pleasure. I'm glad I got to come. Oh, thank you. Uh, folks, we'll be back to the show in just a moment. Thank you. Derek Clark, Broadway Utica, celebrating its 60th year of, uh, of presenting Broadway Theater League shows to the Utica area and beyond. Uh, I'm going to read you guys the names of some of these shows. I'm a big musical guy, so I'm curious to see if you guys know any of these shows. All right? You ready for this? Uh, Love Never Dies, The Phantom Returns. You ever heard of this one? Nope. No. This is the sequel to Phantom of the Opera. Oh. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> how about, how about um, A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder? You ever heard of that one? Mm, no. That's relatively new. That was actually very popular when I was living in New York. I've never seen it. Okay. My mom's very excited for all of these. She's a Broadway Theater League ticket holder, like a season ticket holder. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Never heard of it. Okay. <laughs> the Illusionists, live from... I think this is a music show. This is a, a musician's... Oh, sorry. A magician's show. This might be something different. I'm into that as well. How about Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella? Never heard of any of them. Cabaret? You ever heard of that one? Yeah. Don't know it. How about Chicago? <laughs> Where's Porn. that? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm glad I brought this up. Uh, and one of, the reasons, one of the reasons I was very happy to have Derek on the show and talk about this is I grew up with like a sister who was a musical theater major at Syracuse University. I was in high school plays. I was in middle school plays. I sang in bands. I liked musical theater growing up. I liked musical theater in general. But I want to ask you guys, because I feel like I'm in the minority here, do you guys like musicals in a broad sense? And I wanted to ask you guys before we get into history lessons. I actually just started going to some of them here yeah. recently and I thought they were really good. Like I never was into it. I never wanted to go. A couple of my friends had extra tickets and I've gone to a couple of them and I've actually really enjoyed them. But before, no. Yeah. No. Kev? I enjoy a good live performance of almost any kind. I like mm -hmm. to watch people perform things live. Um, when music is involved, it's, it's usually a gimme. I've never been much the type, I'm not like listening to musical soundtracks, yeah. like in the car sure. and stuff, but I like to go see a show. And I think it's cool that we have such a resource here. So that might be a cagey answer, but that's what I got. I think uh, for me growing up and listening to, like, I remember, this, this is really weird. I remember seeing my sister in a play at Utica College called Into the Woods, which if you guys have heard of that play, it's awesome. If you've seen the movie, it's it's pretty good. Well, geez, I've never heard you mention Into the Woods before. Um, but, you know, you know, I, I really enjoyed musical theater, but I also sort of see where the problems lie, right? It's There's a lot of things that come together to make a great musical theater experience. Like, there's a good story and good acting and actual good music, and it's done in, like, a location. And to see it live and to see this actual visceral performance happen in front of you is very different than listening to the soundtrack of it. So I understand when people are like, it's weird to listen to a musical soundtrack to me, but, like, seeing a show live is actually very, like, breathtaking yeah. and interesting. Um, so, yeah, Derek Clark, thanks a lot. 
Uh, I enjoyed it. You guys ready to get into some history lessons? Please. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I've never heard that response uh, to history lessons once in my life. All right, so I'm gonna try. You want me to do an order this week? What? I can do an order. You guys yeah. want me to do an order? All right. Yeah. Uh, on this day in 1804, Aaron Burr killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel. Uh, I just want to bring this up because Alexander Hamilton is at an all-time high of public like recognize uh, recognition right now. I feel like. Also, um, do you remember? I remember Aaron Burr from a Got Milk commercial. This maybe dates me. Yeah, it was like the first, that. the first Got Milk commercial when the guy tries to call in on the radio mm. uh, and he can't say it because he has a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He's like Aaron Burr. You remember that? No, don't. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> so much older than me, Heather. What the hell? I'm so old. Um, you remember that one obscure commercial from 1995? <laughs> um, <laughs> the hell's the matter with you? Sorry. Get it together. So the reason for the duel. Uh, Hamilton did not like Burr. They were historic, like uh, historic political rivals. Uh, and when Burr was vice president and didn't get reelected again in 1804 for vice presidential nomination, uh, him, Hamilton really protested hard against him. Uh, to which Burr challenged him to what was called at the time, "quote an affair of honor," which is a really, really dope term to like settle your issues. We're about to have an affair of honor. Um, I just find dueling to be a really fascinating like part of like the human existence <laughs> like when we thought this was an okay thing to do I know, this is like the fourth one that you brought up i think i think duels are fascinating I like wh- what like what kind of it just takes a lot of like heart out at the bar let's go outside if that was like how many people would do that today if it was legal all the time <laughs> all like the over time. everything right like <laughs> every guy that drives a big truck probably would <laughs> take you out for a duel uh all right you guys ready for the next one Sure. On this day in 1914, the great Bambino, the Sultan of Swat, the Colossus of Clout, Babe Ruth, uh, played his first Major League Baseball game. Uh, he debuted for the Boston Red Sox, pitching seven strong innings in a 4-3 victory over the Cleveland Indians. Uh, 1920, he was sold to the New York Yankees so that then-Red Sox owner Harry Frizee could fund his musical, a play called No No Nanette. Uh, he sold them to Finances Musical. Uh, over the next 13 to 14 seasons, he had a couple of missed seasons for injuries. Uh, he brought the Yankees to four World Series and seven American League pennants. Uh, I just like reading all the names because it makes me think of the Sandlot when you read all the Babe Ruth nicknames. I love how excited you get about history. <laughs> you know what the sick part is? Is I really enjoy history, but somehow. <laughs> The light has been robbed from my life when it comes to history. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on. On this day, 1925, uh, John Scopes, a high school teacher, uh, was accused of teaching evolution in violation of Tennessee state law, and the monkey trial began in Tennessee, uh, whether or not it was legal to teach evolution in schools. Uh, still like a weird subject to talk about in schools, although most people just sort of gloss over it now whenever I talk about it. I have talked about it with kids before. I don't know anybody who's ever brought up an argument to me against it. I don't know if we also we that. live in New York. Yeah. That's true. We're not down live in, in New York, Texas or yeah. South Carolina or anything. I just remember watch. Uh, did you let the cat in? Ah, hi, Charles. Uh, I remember this is a movie that I watched in elementary or middle school called Inherit the Wind. Do you remember that? I was forced to watch that in middle school. Anybody no, no, I, I never. Heard it's pretty good. I think it has Gregory Peck or something. It's pretty good. It's not bad. Uh, all right, so that's it. History lessons. Um, we're going to bring back over at Underrated this week, guys. Are you that. excited about that? Yeah. All right, but before we get to that, I have a couple quick uh, sort of interesting stories to bring to you guys. Uh, last week, when you weren't here, Heather, we talked about Chris Christie uh, going on the beach. 
Uh, you wanted to talk about Chris Christie. You were all up in arms there about Chris so many Christie. Things I wanted to talk. Last week's news was great. <laughs> uh, well, Chris Christie pretty much doubled down on his beach going. Um, Chris Christie update this week. Uh, he basically said that he does not care about the political optics of him being on Obviously. the beach, which is pretty much just a precursor to that he's given up as a politician. Uh, currently, right now, just so you guys have an idea, he has a fifteen percent approval rating. Uh, which is one of the lowest uh, government uh, approval uh, approval ratings for a governor in American history, which is pretty wild. Uh, so how do you think that he doubled down on this bad press? Kev, you already know, I think, don't you? I do. <laughs> I know what you mean. Uh, he was on <laughs> WFAN New York filling in for legendary radio host Mike Francesa and taking... Uh, open air phone calls oh, from sports gosh. fans. I wish I heard that. <laughs> yeah, on, oh. at WFAN this morning. Uh, and it did not take long for the public to give it to him good. Uh, this is to give it some context for the majority of people who would have no idea, because why would you? Uh, WFAN and the Mike Francesca show is one of the biggest sports radio programs that's been going on for a long time in yes. the largest media market in the country. So, like, this show and this station are really high profile, like, he really yeah. threw himself out there in front they of the They had to have known that was going to happen. Oh, like, for sure. He doesn't care. He's on his way out. Christy doesn't care. He knows he's got he's got money coming <laughs> on the back end. Uh, he's been on the show before. Uh, Francesa, who's been on for, I think, over 40 years almost now, uh, is on the verge of retiring. So they've been bringing in numerous different... They said Christy's going to take over. He's Aww. one of the people who's, temp- who's interested in taking over. Uh, but here's the part that people are... I think this is hilarious. Uh, a WFAN caller, uh, Mike in Montclair, which is the most perfect WFAN caller I've ever heard, uh, took him to the cleaners. This was the quote. I'm going to read it as a guy from Montclair. sound like a guy from New Jersey. Governor, next time you want to sit on a beach that's closed to the entire world except you, you put your fat ass in a car and go to one that's open to all your constituents. So that was Mike from Montclair. So Mike from Montclair says, next time you'd like to be on a beach that's closed to everybody... All you've got to do to make that happen is drive to a beach that's open to everybody. <laughs> um, Proving, once again. Uh, Christy, though, burned him. He called this guy a bum, and he said, you know, Mike, I love getting calls from communists in Montclair, which, yeah. <laughs> which is... Which I can't. Is exceptional. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. I wish I could have heard that. Uh, and the and now you're thinking to yourself, we already had a segment on the show called "I'm Done with This Guy." Why didn't I make Chris Christie this week's you're version of "I'm Done with This Guy"? Everyone's been done. I gotta tell you, because this WFAN stuff actually makes me less done with him. You want to hear what's coming out of his mouth next? Because well, it's like it's funny. If these people would own being jerks, it'd be easier. Yeah. Well, Christie's on the way out. Everyone hates Christie in Jersey. This is actually maybe not the worst like career path. It's like a for heel him. turn in wrestling. It is a little bit of a heel turn uh, in wrestling. That's that's a good analogy. Lean into it. Uh, yeah. So Chris Christie, how about it? He's probably the most interesting politician in the world right now. Just looking. <laughs> He's at fascinating. Him. He's. Oh. Like, I find him fascinating. Fascinating. That's a little bit. Okay. Uh, so. He finds his breakfast cereal fascinating. <laughs> I do find breakfast cereal very fascinating. Uh, uh, Heather, this one, I always like to put a good story about moms in here okay. for you so you can hear about some bad moms. Because you're a great mom. I saw I, you out there with Kaz. You guys were rocking during the Boilermaker. Here's a story of a, uh, let's call her a hot mom, but not in like a sexy way, in like kind of a terrible way. Uh, a Florida woman is facing charges this week after police said she left her child in a hot car. And then when she was placed in a police cruiser, she complained to the police that it was, quote unquote, too hot to be put in the back of a police car. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> she left her five-year-old in the lock car, uh, goes inside the store with her other child, 
Uh, and it wasn't until people apparently saw the kid in the back seat and called they the police. They heard the kid on screaming. Yeah, he was, the window was cracked, but it was 107 degrees in the car. Yeah, he was a prox. Uh, there are video reports from the store, which I didn't see what kind of store it was. I'm it was, gonna, a, it was a Family Dollar. Family Dollar. There we go. Um, that said the video surveillance leads them to believe that he was up in the car for about 30 minutes. Oh, my God. Well, because she said, she told the cops, she was like, I was only in the store for, like, 10 minutes. They looked at the surveillance footage, like, you're in it there for 30 minutes. It only takes a couple minutes for your car to, like, heat oh, up. What the hell are you doing in Family Dollar for 30 minutes? I didn't even think you'd spend the time in there. Um, we get, uh, a firefighter apparently told her that they get cases where in 10 to 15 minutes the kid is dead. So, like, 30 minutes is way yeah. past, uh, okay. Uh, this is this is where she said uh, while they were uh, driving to jail, uh, she told the officers the air con- to put the air conditioning on because it was too hot. She complained that the back seat was too hot and asked us to turn the AC up. She's in jail on five thousand dollars bail. Faces up to five years in prison. Good for Good. you. Good. Good. Lock her up. She probably won't get locked up, and she'll have her kids back. And I don't know, man. It's Florida. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's this is know. this is a wild story because it's just like. I, I don't know. It just seems like a very... You brought the one kid in. Why wouldn't you bring the other one in? Those are the people that are voting for bad politicians. <laughs> that was very... <laughs> they believe a, everything they hear. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so I was going to talk about uh, an emotions chart. We're going to push that next week because I think it's actually a fascinating conversation. So we're going to push that back to next week. It's an emotional next week. No, it's, it's really interesting. And I'm going to tease it. But it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So, and I think it'll take up too much time. I just think so. it was really great. Uh, I'm going to pull back the curtain... On uh, on something, uh, me and Kevin last night uh, after we recovered from Boilermaker weekend, we watched a wrestling pay per view, which we're known to do every few weeks or so because there's one pretty much every two weeks now for you wrestling fans out there. <laughs> but the wrestling pay per view last night has what wrestling fans are calling historically the worst name for any wrestling pay per view of all time. Now, Heather, what what rest, do you know any wrestling pay per views like wrestling like WrestleMania? Your concept right? of the term WrestleMania probably like WrestleMania. You ever heard of WrestleMania? Yeah, when I was little. Right. The Royal Rumble. Yeah. The Survivor Series. Yeah. yeah. How about this one? <clears throat> you ready for this? No. Great balls of fire. Great. Great balls of fire. That's right. <laughs> WWE named their program Great Balls of Fire. <laughs> and what was fascinating about it is if you could get past the name, it was actually a very underrated wrestling pay per view. <laughs> Uh, that was my segue so that we can get into the return of overrated, underrated. You guys ready? It's been a long time since we played overrated, underrated. I'm ready. Let's you ready? Are you ready? Kevin, you ready? Here I am. All right. Uh, so earlier today, I'm one of these kind of guys. I went to McDonald's on the way home, and I just bought a large Coca-Cola because I like a large soda, and it is what it is. I didn't want to get out of my car. Paid a dollar for a large soda from McDonald's. I brought it home, I sat down on the couch, I put something on TV, I got myself a snack, and as I'm watching my show, and I take a sip of my soda, hey, what do you know, it's a Diet Coke. So I threw it away. Overrated or underrated diet soda. Heather, I'm starting with you. Overrated. Do you drink soda at all? Not really. You don't strike me as a soda drinker. I don't like, care for it, but if I'm going to have one, it's not going to be a diet one, that's for sure. Kevin, overrated or underrated? Uh, yeah, I'm not much of a soda guy, either myself. Um, diet soda is specifically bad. It tastes salty, and I don't understand why. My true concern is what kind of a serial killer gets a drink from somewhere in their car 
and doesn't take a sip till they get all the way in the I know. Uh, how how are you, not, how are you not sipping in the car? Like, I'm usually sipping before I even drive off. I was, I'm like, I like to get prepped for things. He I does like, to like have, the, he does. I like to have all my ducks in a row. Let's put it that way. I like to very, just. He's very high strung like, about his leisure time. I my hand in the McDonald's bag before I even turn right. If I, if, oh, listen, if there was fries in there, those are fair game. That's easy. That's like, that's, that's not, that's fine. Um, you know, but that's the move. You should always taste the soda in the car before you pull away because they, I feel like one out of ten is wrong when you go to the fast food. All right. Uh, I'm going to say overrated. Uh, if you're going to drink it, just drink the regular one. It tastes better, fast better than dying from cancer. Uh, all right. Overrated, underrated, and other food stuff. Fig Newtons. I had a Fig Newton somewhere last week for the first time in, like, years. Uh, overrated, underrated, Fig Newtons. Kev, you want to start? Underrated. Underrated? You like Any a kind fig? of Newton. I like a Newton. I like a Fig Newton. I like the strawberry Fig Newtons even more. The raspberry ones are very good. But, no, Fig Newton is fine. My grandmother used to have them all the time at the house, exactly. and they were really good. Under, Heather, Heather is gross. audibly the nauseous. The texture of them is just so gross inside. I don't even know what that is. I mean, I know what it is, but I don't know what it all is. It's gross. I think they're a little underrated. I even like the generic Fig Newton. It's not the Fig Newton brand Fig Newton. I didn't Newton. even know there was a generic. There's generic any kind of thing. Yeah. I, even like, I like generic any kind of cookies. They're all the same. Uh, all right, so I saw this yesterday. The Oculus Rift. Finally had another price chop. It's oh, sorry, brother. You've been, you've been, writing, on your you've pants? been writing. Sorry, on brother. Me. I've been writing you on you with my pen. Just my bad. waving that pen around under the table. <laughs> um, uh, so the Oculus Rift price chop. Sorry, was four hundred. It's down to four hundred dollars now. Over at underrated virtual reality. Are you into this? Uh not for four hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. It's it's all gonna come for us anyway. Yeah. At some point, so I might as well wait. I'm with him, not for the price. I mean, it's interesting though, but. Every time I see virtual reality on TV or I watch somebody do, like, a, a new virtual reality thing, I think it seems really cool. I don't know why I'm so disinterested in actually trying it myself. I don't know. Maybe I don't trust it. Maybe I feel like I'll get lost in the Matrix. I'm not sure. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. I don't, a lot of the virtual reality stuff is all, like, games, and I don't really care for games anyway, like, video games, stuff like that. Mm. And I just, yeah, I don't know. Not, not at the price point. Not mm. for... It seems like the type of thing you would get that would be really cool, and then you'd after like three weeks, you'd never use it again. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, overrated, uh, underrated. I got in a conversation this week with my niece via text messages, and she responded overwhelmingly via emojis. Overrated or underrated emojis as part of our society? I... I... I use them. So I think they're underrated. They're fine. I kind of I mean, think they're, they're underrated. It's kind of like what, what it is now. So. I got bombarded by, by emoji. Uh, so I'm a little bit like, again, recency bias. I'm a little annoyed by it. I will notice, though, that I think I find an emoji to be funny sometimes when used accurately. <laughs> I'm going to say an emoji's a little bit underrated. I like to like make them when I do a sentence so they know I'm happy. Because sometimes people <laughs> don't under, some people don't text me, don't know. Might not understand what I'm talking about. I think as a single 31-year-old man, I shouldn't use too many emoji. It's probably not the same for me. Yeah, not if you're trying to pick up a girl. No, probably not. Kev, thoughts on emoji? You'd be surprised on that. Um, They need more. They just need more. There's not enough. Keep creating more. There's not not enough to, to truly... There's not, you can't have enough nuance to your expression. I feel like a lot of them are a little bit too, like, there's emojis that I want that they just don't have. Yes. You mean those 300 smiley faces, there's not one? Most of them are crap, though. They double down on a lot of of them. Most of them are crap that you would never want, though. Yeah. Like, out of those 300, six of them are useful. Uh, And let's stick to uh, tech for one more thing. Overrated, underrated. Um, I've been hearing a lot of backlash against that. I use it all the time. Autocorrect. Heather, overrated, underrated, autocorrect. I have the worst grammar. So I'm for it for the most part. So 
Oh. <laughs> You've seen yeah. my stuff. Have you seen mine? I think so. it's a little overrated. I do use it all the time, and I've gotten adept at using it. But my concern is that everyone is getting adept at using it. No one actually learns how to spell. That's my, that's my concern. The question is, do they need to? Uh, that's I guess that is the question. Do we need to spell anymore? I mean, I don't think people are going to forget how to spell. I don't really think that's how it works. Um... The autocorrect is nice because it allows me to text very quickly and not have to mm-hmm. be super careful with where I'm putting my thumbs. I mean, and that's coming from my my spelling and my grammar and my syntax are usually unimpeachable. I don't really miss very often. Um, but it's nice to be able to, if I'm typing out a paragraph, hammer out and know that as long as I'm close enough, yeah. I'm okay, probably going to get what I need. Yeah. Sure. Um, I had one more, but it's very controversial, and I think I'm going to hold off on it. Um I was going to do golf, but people love golf. And I feel like if I talked out about golf, we're going to lose a good portion of our viewer base. Can I talk down about golf? I care less about golf. You care less about golf? You want to talk about golf? Golf, overrated, underrated. Um, it's Golf's fine. It's a little... It's a little overrated, but it's also it's overrated for the wrong reasons. Underrated for the wrong reasons. If that makes sense. Like I feel like people are stoked about the wrong aspects of golf. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good actually. I'm excited for more part if we go like if we do a captain and crew and there's drinking involved. That's like when I like. Okay, so you're my drinking kind of while golfing here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you're doing. All right, so I see we're we're all in the same sort of wheelhouse with golf. Like I think that's my concern with golf. Like I like. The idea of going out and having a couple beers and hitting the balls on the course with my pals, right? Mm-hmm. What I'm not so stoked about is like if someone's like, "Hey, we're going on a golfing outing. You want to come?" And I'm like, "Sure." And then I go out there and like my just edit, yeah, yeah, slice like 19 my balls in the woods. Etiquette's awful. You can't do that. You can't do that. I'm like, well, yeah, I don't. Know. I don't want to play that. This guy have to I paid this my money. Rules. I'm out here. This is America, is it not? Yeah, I'm not here to follow strict rules of golf. Like, I'm just not. That's not what I'm here for. I'm clearly there just to have fun. No. I guess I don't respect the game then. What the respect <laughs> the game? Well, it is. It's just like any other sport. You don't go off and do different yeah. things. With it's an outrageous waste of resources and uh, good land, especially in places like Arizona, places that have dropped California. Problem, where we're literally wasting water to keep these courses for mm-hmm. uh, for people. Um, Malcolm Gladwell did a really good podcast talking about golf. You got a lot that of we flag for that. To. He probably did get a lot of flack because the golf people are very uppity, but he didn't say a single word that was wrong mm-hmm. about any of it. Um, golf carts are super tight. <laughs> yes, uh, they are. Drinking outside in the sun with your friends is super tight. Uh, do what I do when you go golfing. Bring a number of balls, and once they're all gone, you're done. That's done the way the to do it. I'll go out there. I'll make it to the sixth, seventh hole. I've had you know probably four beers, lost eight balls, and I'm good. I'm just going to bomb around in the golf cart for the rest of the day making snarky comments to my friends who are out there actually trying. Uh, once a year as well. I go once a year. Uh, in three hours, roughly, for now, uh, so by the time you hear this, it'll already have happened, the Juno spacecraft will be passing over Jupiter and sending all sorts of excellent trill dope imagery back to us about the surface of the planet of Jupiter. Uh, I'm very excited about it. You should be, too. If you hear this now, look it up. It's probably already on the Internet. Space yeah. is cool. And that's it. That's all we have this week. Okay, that was uh, it was fun, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, follow Heather, Twitter, HeatherWaz1. Kevin Sullivan, underscore Kevin Sullivan, me at SF Doom. Follow the show at Uticast, Uticast.com for all our current and back episodes. Uh, you can also catch us on uh, SoundCloud, on MaidenUtica.com, and of course, Apple Podcasts. We will see you next week. Woodstock lives.